All right, welcome back everybody. It is now 2.45 and we're on schedule. Thanks to our wonderful community event shows keeping us on track there. And we are so excited today to bring you a presentation from the Burl Colley uh, Leadership Training Committee. Burl Colley was a friend of mine and one of his really dear, dear passions was developing leaders inside the American Council of the Blind. So it's wonderful that the Leadership Institute Training Committee is named now after Burl and his memory. And we're excited today uh, to talk about one of the things that Burl was always very passionate about, which was really finding new leaders in, in the fine art of delegation, of delegating, to find others who can, who can carry on when it's time for that next person to move along in succession planning. How do you develop and delegate new leaders inside of your organization? And we're honored today to have as our facilitators, Matt Selm, president of the Kentucky Council of the Blind from Louisville, Kentucky, and Doug Powell, uh, president of ACB of Virginia from Falls Church, Virginia. And on the panel with them today, we're gonna have Julie Brennan, uh, president of Washington Council of the Blind, Artis Bazin, membership, ACB membership uh, committee chair, and also, Erlene Hughes, uh, president of Blind Information Technology Specialist Affiliate. So Matt and Doug, welcome. Thanks, Dan. So you could say underlay, underlay, yeah, right? There you go. <laughs> I was translating. Um, oh, hold on. Oh. We, I heard a comment that we're waiting on translation. Oh, so if we can hold for one second. Okay. Yeah, Dan, we're just uh, figuring out the the, the relay. If you give us the second, please. So, Joanny, yeah. see Daniela ahora. Okay, gracias, Joanny. Perfecto, Lucy, Joanny, Daniel. Um, okay, we're ready. Thank Great. you, Gabriel Lopez Cafati. That was Gabe uh, making sure we're staying on track with our Spanish. Thank you, sir. And now let's turn You're it back welcome. over to Matt and Doug. Great, thank you, thank you, Dan, uh, and good afternoon, ACB. Um, I, I not only am I president of the American Council of the Blind of Virginia, but I also got elected to be the. Uh, actually, before that, before I got elected to that position, I got elected to be president of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, which is a special interest affiliate of ACB, and I really. Uh, you know, I, I noticed right away, I said, you know, usually uh, it's kind of working my way up. I thought, you know, I, I went, I, I did things by myself, you know, it, when push came to shove, you know, I would ask for input from, you know, from my people around me, you know, in, in, at my chapter and, you know, and, and committees and that kind of thing, but ended up doing a whole heck of a lot by my, on my own. And, um, I realized that, you know, now I've put my, I boxed myself into a position where I can't do it anymore. I cannot do it all myself. So um, I, I uh, thought that this would be a great uh, uh, theme for a session on, you know, how do you delegate to whom do you delegate and what kinds of things, you know, what, what other uh, uh, things you take into consideration and, and how do you manage it? So um, I, you know, uh, 
I'm going to turn it over, I think, to um, to Matt and uh, have have him sort of, you know say anything he wants to say and then uh, jump in with this first question. All right, thank you, Doug, and welcome to everyone listening. And I do want to thank our panel for joining us this afternoon. Um, so I guess we'll go ahead and get started here, and uh, you know, hopefully turn this into a good good conversation. So my first question for the panel is really, how do you choose or identify who you're going to delegate tasks to? And I guess in a small addition to that, what sort of qualities are you looking for in that person? And uh, I guess we'll, we'll start with Erlene, and then we'll go to Artis and then Julie. Well, hello, everyone. I want to say first, if I may, I knew Burl Coley, and he was awesome to work with. I was a friend of his back when he was on the Board of Publications, and I was ACB webmaster, and I really enjoyed working with Burl. It's an honor to be here today, and I hope I can answer the questions that you're interested in. When I think about delegating, I I first look at the big picture. All of the committees in BITS must work together to accomplish their specific goals for their committee and to promote and fulfill the mission of BITS. On the committee level, I look at what do I want the committee to accomplish? I develop a plan for the committee. And the next, I select the committee chair. I look at our membership roster to select members that I think can serve as the committee chair. And then I talk to that person to find out what their interests are. And I try to find someone who can best match what I want the committee chair to do in order to fulfill that plan. Um, I want the committee chair to follow the plan that I have for the committee. And that's primarily what, what I do as far as developing uh, a committee chair. I have about five different committee chairs in bits. And I'll stop there because I, I have some ideas about what I do next to um, put members on the various committees. Great. Artis? Yes, as ACB membership chair, I have to uh, look at the committee and see which um, committee members can best fit the particular task. I'm asking them to do. So definitely skills is one of the things I look at. Uh, first of all, is it something that has to be done immediately or is it something that we're looking at for you know, a couple of months or so? Because that makes a big difference because um, if they've been on the committee for a while and know the, the routine and know how quickly things need to be done, they're more likely to get to it quickly. Um, so that's uh, one of the first things I consider. And once that 
I decide who to ask, then I'll ask them at a committee mem- meeting if, you know, they're available to do that and, and if they need any information, because sometimes they have to contact somebody and they might not have the contact information. So I have to follow up and, you know, send them what they need to do the task that I've assigned them. So that's it for that particular question. <laughs> Great, thanks. All right, Julie, hi. Hi there. I'm going to be speaking from a different perspective, a little different as an affiliate president. I see um, delegation kind of two-pronged. One is just delegating tasks. That's not necessarily developing people. And that delegation, my board teases me that that's my greatest skill is delegation, but I don't think so. I don't think I delegate very well. But anyway, you find out which officer or board member or committee chair or chapter president really can do the job the best. And you make that decision and delegate a task. As far as delegation in regard to succession planning and people development, I knew Burl too, of course, we lived in the same state. And I would say his tremendous skill was in developing leaders. He believed in them first. And that's something I've looked at too. In fact, I've called many people individually and say, I know you might not think you have this skill, but I think you do. And WCB could use you for this. And so you start at a smaller level and building people up, if that makes sense. Um, What we were doing this year, very similar to ACB, we're doing a new leadership program with WCB. It involves both leadership training and intentional mentoring, we're calling it. And that's one thing we're doing for succession planning is mentoring people into actual leadership roles. So they'll have a mentor for, oh, about nine months or so, eight months along with training. And then they'll be able to do hands-on. What does that role look like? What does it feel like? And they'll actually be able to act in that role with feedback from their mentor. So that is one way we're handling, I I would call it delegation and succession planning. Great. Um, Let me just, uh, that that flows very nicely into the next question we had, which was, um, you know, do you, do you, do you delegate to people who you know are going to get it done and, you know, who have done, you know, done lots of stuff before, or uh, uh, do you try to enlist new people? So uh, can you talk a little bit more about that uh, relationship between the mentor and the mentee uh, that you're, you know, that, that you're delegating to Julie? Okay. Well, people needed to apply to be in this new leadership program. And in that application, they indicate, what leadership position they'd be interested in learning more about. Like we tell people, we can't promise it's a, it's a membership organization and there are elections. So just because you're putting your hat in the ring for a certain position now, committee chairs are, are designated by the president. So that's easier. And cha- But chapter presidents and officer and board members at the state level are elected. So we're just asking people to put their hat in the ring. What we learned a long time ago is people don't feel confident. When you call, when you talk to people and say, why didn't you choose to run for blah, blah, blah. Well, I don't think I'm ready. I don't know what it entails, blah, blah. So that's why we're doing the intentional mentoring. We're not choosing people for that. People come to us and say they're interested. So that's our first step. Um, And then we are providing the mentors in the current leaders of WCB to mentor people. So people had to step out and say, hmm, I'm a little interested because we're asking, you know, a 10 week training program, excuse me, 10 session, not 10 week. It'll end up being about um, 
five months, but a 10 session leadership training from them. We'll be asking them to read material and we'll be asking them to have fairly consistent contact with a mentor and actually do the job. So we, uh, the truth is behind the scenes, all of us in the committee called somebody and said, hey, want to apply for leadership? So there was a little nudging, but people had to take that step and say they were interested because there's going to be a lot involved. So, um, but we, it, we all did call individual people and encourage them. Great. Arlene, do, do you give any uh, thought to uh, whether, you know, bringing new people along and, and you know, sort of... Uh, uh, sprinkling uh, experienced people and, and new people in your uh, uh, in your responsibility team. <clears throat> yes, um, I have called members of Bits and asked them to be a committee chair, and someone will tell me, "Oh, I don't think I can do that. I've never done that before. I've never done anything like that before." And I tell them, "Oh, yes, you can." And that you won't be alone. I'll, I'll walk along with you and I'll help you. And we will develop a plan and the committee will follow the plan and we'll put members on the committee that will help you accomplish your goals. And I've also appointed members that are experienced as far as running a committee, managing the affairs of the committee and what happens, I find, is if you have experienced people, they can they can get into conversation with people who are not as experienced and talk about various situations and various issues and help those inexperienced people to learn and grow as committee chairs and BITS members. Great. Artists, how about you? It's a little bit different when it comes to uh, serving as chair of a committee because I'm not the one that allows or doesn't allow a person to be on the committee. That's up to the president. However, I can ask people that I think would be good for the membership committee and tell them to contact Dan or if somebody approaches me and asks me, how can I be on the committee? I tell them to contact Dan Spoon because he was the one that would have to authorize someone to join the membership committee. So that's something I wanna put forward. So if you're interested, talk to him. Okay. Once people are on the committee, I do assign tasks to people uh, based on sometimes on their experience. And other times I just ask the members who would like to contact so-and-so to be on this particular focus call or to be on the convention seminar, et cetera. And for all of my committee members, I always send a suggested script for them to use when they're talking so that they have kind of a, a idea of exactly what they're supposed to be asking the possible presenter. So they know kind of what we want. And then I send them the contact information for that particular person if they don't have it. So that way, you know, works in tandem. I wanna make sure they have enough information that they feel comfortable moving forward with a particular uh, task that I give them. I don't just say, hey, 
you need to contact so-and-so to be on that panel. I give, you know, directions, which hopefully helps them develop and they more understand the process. Great. Before, um, Matt, before we go on to the next question, uh, Erlene brought up something that I'd, I'd kind of like to explore, which is she says she, uh, that she uh, develops the work plan, the strategic plan for the year, uh, and then, uh, then uh, kind of hires people to, 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 uh, to make it happen. Um, is that how the, uh, uh, Julie, you and, and artists work also, or do you have different ways of coming up with your uh, yearly work plans? Let's uh, take uh, Julie first. Um, let me clarify yearly work plan in regard to what again? Uh, just uh, uh, the overall work plan for the, for, for the, the year, for the year, for the, yeah. you know, for the affiliate, you know, so yeah. Right. right. You know, um, a lot of that work plan happens in our board meetings and we have, you know, four of them a year. Um, we just had, I'm really excited, you guys, we just had a board retreat and an in-person board retreat. It was so nice to actually have interactive communication back and forth. And a lot of that plan was talked about during that retreat. My dream is to have a retreat every year, especially because hopefully every year you have new members, new officers and board members. I would say it's primarily discussed at the board level, the new plan, and then also committees. We ask committees to send us in their goals for the year. What are your goals for this year? So committees have a direction. Oftentimes those goals might not be met and they may definitely go different directions as they meet and work. But um, we have 19 committees in WCB and each of them is asked, especially if possible at their first meeting to, and if not their first, their second or third, to define some goals for themselves. So they don't feel like they're just, you know, flopping around, not accomplishing anything. Cool. Artist. The membership committee uh, follows the, the guidelines from the um, ACB steering committee, and they always suggest that we have a quarterly goals. And so we followed that system the last uh, few years, where each uh, quarter, we set goals of what we want to do during the next quarter. So if we want to have a focus call every month, or if we want to um, start planning convention, etc. So that way it's kind of outlined each quarter. And then at the end of the first quarter, then we'll set the goals for the next quarter. So it's a, a plan uh, that we can follow real easily. It's not, you know, month to month, it's, you know, for the quarter. Great. Matt? Yeah, so I think we we touched on this a little bit earlier, but uh, I just want to ask, how do you each go about getting your membership or, you know, the members interested in, you know, tackling what you have to tackle, be it a project or work on a committee, um, you know, just from a general membership perspective, how do you get them interested in signing up to to join the cause is it always a lot of one-on-one -on -one sort of headhunting as you guys kind of alluded to and um let's start with um let's start with julie every year um the president myself does committee development oh 
one of the dread times of the year. No, I don't mean that. Anyway, in January. And what I do is I start looking at all of the committee chairs and vice chairs because those are appointed by the president. We send notes out to the list, to our information list, to all members about what the committee does, what they're all about. Please let me know if you're interested in a committee. I also ask current chairs to reach out to people they know that they think might be interested in being on their committee. And a lot of people get input as chairs and vice chairs. Uh, we also, just letting you know, most of our committees, every officer and board member does chair a committee. That is something that I've asked to happen because one of the best ways to understand committee work is to have your um, executive leadership team be a part of that. So they're part of that too. So they're very involved in, in you know, getting new members. We do a lot of advertising in January. Committee lists are developed, listing all the contact information for chairs, vice chairs, and members. But we do a lot of, you know, we also ask presidents, uh, chapter presidents, we have a president's list to please reach out to chapter members that they think might be interested in a committee and to help us by announcing what those committees are. So we really do quite a bit of PR in January. Okay, and Erlene? I began appointing the BITS committees in January. And I, I look at the membership roster to see who I think would be uh, the best capable person to serve as chair. And I also look at the membership roster to find BITS members who might be interested in serving on the committee. I talk to people one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I, I let in the board meetings, all of our committees report to the board. Each meeting we have a section where um, each chair can report to the board on the activities that they are doing. And my one of my overall goals is I want the committee to develop a chemistry among the committee members. And I want the committee to engage with all of the members in BITS to promote their committee and project and to promote BITS. On our website, I have on the committee's page, if you are interested in serving on a committee, um, please contact the president and my contact email address is there. So that that's pretty much how we, um, we promote our selection of our committees. All right, thank you. And Artis, I know as the chair of membership, you know, your committee is kind of appointed you know, above you, but I, I wonder if you have any any thoughts on that issue of how to get the general membership interested and involved in, in the committee and its work. Basically, um, I've encouraged people that have come forward that are, you know, that attend a lot of focus calls or that have asked about it. I encourage them to contact Dan Spoon. And I have had some people approach me and then um, and they've decided that they just did not have the time to be actually serving on the committee. So it has worked that way as well. However, once they're on the committee, I encourage involvement from all the members of the committee. Sometimes people don't show up to meetings or if they 
don't respond when I ask for, well, who would like to do what such and such, then I'll appoint them to do something and um, send a follow-up email. And if I don't get response, then I'll, I'll call them. So I do kind of encourage all the members of the committee to participate in whether it's just giving topic uh, suggestions, uh, uh, you know, talking to others to be a part of a panel, et cetera. I just like to have involvement from everyone, not just, you know, a few key people on the committee. Thank you, Artis. And just kind of real quickly, what would you, and I want to kind of start with Artis on this question, but what would you say is a good uh, ratio or percentage of, you know, people that are returning to the committee and people that are new to the committee? Um, this last year, I think it seems like the president appoints new committee people um, like every other year, not necessarily every year, but um, the last year we had um, three new people uh, stepped up and actually one of the three is very active on the committee. The other two are not. Um, and so it's, uh, I like to promote people to come onto the committee that really want to invest the time and effort. And I guess that's what I would say to to people, if you ask to be on a committee, make sure that it's something you really want to spend the time doing. Right, and Julie, what kind of uh, you know ratio are you looking for of you know returning people versus brand new people to a committee? I don't really have the percentages, but we'd have most people continuing on committees, just a few. A few say, I don't want to be in that committee anymore, but I want to be on this committee. So a lot of people who have been committee involved change committees, and then we have some new, and I really can't give you percentages. I would say the majority, though, are returning people on committees. Okay. And then Erlene? I also don't work on a percentage basis. We've had two returning committee chairs and, well, maybe three, three committee returning chairs. And I recently had to make a change in one of the chairs, but I usually go by if the chair is really doing a great job and accomplishing the goals of their committee, and people are engaged with that committee, I usually um, reappoint that chair if that person wants to be reappointed. And we've had some cases of that. And sometimes the committee is really successful and someone else will want to be appointed to that committee, a new person on the committee or a new chair. And I've, I've done that recently. So, All right. I, I know that in, right. in, in past times, um, I've been, you know, I've been associated with organizations where everybody's gung ho about, you know, uh, developing a work plan. And then, uh, you know, a month or two down the road, uh, nothing's gotten done so far and, and, and that kind of thing. So I, how much do you intervene with your you know, with your chairs or, you know, whoever, um, to make sure that the goals of the organization are actually getting done? 
uh, let's start with Erlene uh, again, if you don't mind. Um, I talk to all of my committee chairs on a regular basis, and some people think I am micromanaging, and it's really <laughs> not. <laughs> it's my conversations and my involvement with all the committees are not meant to be micromanaging. My my involvement is to make sure that the committee is focused on the plan that I have set out for that committee for the year and that the chair is receiving the resources that the chair needs in order to guide the committee. And you have to you have to work with all of the committee chairs if you want to maintain focus and make sure that the committee stays on track. So it, okay. it's not micromanagement, really. It's 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 managing maybe on the micro or macro level, but you're accomplishing something. You're making sure that when you when you decide to do something, say in January or February, when it gets to be August or September, you know, the hot days of August that the committee is still on track and that people feel that they're being successful in accomplishing something. Right. Artis? Um, in a way, I do the same thing. When I give assignments, uh, we have a monthly membership committee meeting. And so then when I give assignments, I follow up with notes to tell them that so-and-so, so-and-so, and so-and-so. And if I do not hear back from someone about an assignment, then I'll send them another email or give them a call to make sure they're on track, make sure that they've been uh, following up with the possible presenters or what other tasks that they're supposed to do. And I think the obviously the thing that a president and a committee chair has to do is follow up and act. So whether they consider it micromanagement or not, I guess that's up to the individual. But if you don't follow up, you don't know if they've done the task or not. Yeah, when it gets to the deadline, that's not the time to ask whether it's done or not. Right? <laughs> Good, Julie. As I've said, with nineteen committees, I I can't be in touch with all of them all the time. So what we do, I always have an open door. Any of the chairs can call me anytime. Um, Quarterly, we used to meet bi-monthly, but now we're meeting quarterly, we have chairs meetings. So during that quarterly meeting, it's a time for chairs to encourage each other, talk to each other. The attendance is quite, quite good. I'm really pleased the majority of committee chairs get involved. So that's one thing we do. And then every board meeting, every quarterly board meeting, I ask all the chairs to turn in a report. Um, that I can send to the board and to our announce list, our you know WCB list, about what they've been doing for that quarter and what they've been doing since the last report came in, which was the last board meeting. So we really do, as a state, pretty much keep in touch with what committees are doing through those reports. One thing I forgot to mention, I just wanted to, in regard to delegation, not only do we have committee chairs, but every committee has been asked to have a vice chair or a co-chair. Just want to say that with the goal of that co-chair possibly eventually or that vice chair taking over the chairmanship of the committee if that need ever arises. And also the committee chair is tasks, tasked 
on having that vice chair maybe run a meeting and also training that vice chair. So that's really something we implemented a couple of years ago for committees. Great. Matt, do you have any other questions before we kind of open it up and see if people have raised hands and uh, done the Q and A? Uh... I guess just the the one thing of you know what do you you know what do you know now that you know you wish you knew then or you know what have you uh, kind of you know learned along the way from delegating and assigning and everything like that. Uh, and we'll start with, uh, we'll start with Julie. I think one of the most difficult things about delegation is to hand something to someone and discreetly and quietly be in the background, but let go and let them show their stuff, if that makes sense. It's easy to delegate. Sometimes you might think, oop, I chose the wrong person for that. That's not their skill level, et cetera. But you never, never want to put them down publicly in front of whatever they're trying to do. And that is a skilled leader that can do that, that can delegate, give something to someone, maybe behind the scenes, call that person, say, here's some input I have. But it's so important to let that person shine in their role and never try to take over in front of other people or put them down. Artists? I agree. Uh, never uh, put someone down in the, the public group or the committee meeting, etc. I think one of the things I've learned is that they really appreciate being thanked. And I think it's so easy for us to forget to thank them for um, getting the particular task done. You know, we just move on to the next task. And I think um, that's one of the biggest things I learned that thanking people, then they really appreciate being on the committee and are more likely to do better in the future. And also recognizing their service. Uh, Erlene? One of the biggest things that I've learned is sometimes the committee can get off track or the committee chair is focusing on something else and there needs to be a change on the committee, whether it be a committee member or a committee chair. And there are times when you really have to sit down and think about whether or not you should do that and how to go about it. The committee, I decide sometimes, I've done it recently, I've decided to appoint another member to serve as the committee chair and Sometimes when you do something like that, when you remove a committee member, the person is not happy, but you have to do what's in the best interest of the committee and the organization. Maybe some of the members come to you and tell you that they're not happy, and that would present a situation where you have to sit down and talk to the committee chair and try and resolve the issue and sometimes it designates appointing a new committee chair. And when I do that, I, I try to leave the door open so that that person will feel involved still and can and not feel rejected. And I'd, I'd like to say one more thing, if I could, about something that kind of ties into this. There has to be a level of trust among 
all of the committee members on the committee and the committees themselves and the chairs with respect to the board, because the board is the governing body of the organization. And there has to be trust among the members and a spirit of trying to develop teamwork and that everyone is functioning as part of the whole team. And that's one of the things that I've tried to focus on um, the last two years when I was president, as well as th this year. This year seems to be easier because uh, I was reelected last year and now, so we're beginning another two year term and people are beginning to understand what success can come from working as a team and trusting each other. Very nice. Uh, right, I, I guess now we'll open up for questions, Dad. Yeah, I don't know who our, our host is, but um, do, do we have any raised hands? You do have a question in the, um, in the, in the chat also, and, I, and it does relate to what Erlene was just talking about, which is how do you do something uh, to develop that trust to do the delegating? How, how do you figure out how to, to establish the trust part? Okay, well, we can take that first. Um, Erlene, do you want to start on that since you were <laughs> discussing it, or would you yeah, like? To? I I opened this door. Um, <laughs> I usually start on start out with the one on one conversation with the person, and usually they're friends of that person. People know friends and have friends, and sometimes you know people don't like each other, but you have to trust that person anyway. And when people see that you trust that person and that person is really successful, that person is doing their job, they will respect that person. And sometimes it takes a while for individual people to trust that person. But I think one of the things that really helps to establish trust is when the president trusts that person and you talk about that person and the person is accomplishing something then the trust kind of spreads and you have to try to encourage people to put their friendship aside, whether they like or dislike that person. Um, trust will, will build teamwork and teamwork will make all of the committees successful. Artis, do you have any comments on that? Yes, I would say that um, building trust with individual committee members um, is important. And I think by asking people first, if they would like to do a particular assignment and letting those um, members volunteer themselves is a good way to start and then assign those who are staying silent because that builds trust within the group saying, oh, hey, if she's assigning them, then they obviously have some responsibility and are following through. So I think it's um, the manner in which you do it if you assign everyone a task rather than just assigning tasks to the people that you know have responded in the past. It's important to keep them all involved as much as possible. Julie? 
I was hating last. Everything else has been sad. <laughs> anyway, you know, I just want to say for, and I can talk about a state affiliate, um, and elected positions or committee chairs. Primarily, I think the people that are asked to be a committee chair or elected by a chapter to be a president or elected by the state affiliate to be a board or officer, board member officer are trusted because those elections did happen. So I agree with Erlene in that once the leadership um, is in place of anything, of any leadership thing, and they're there by either a vote or by the selection by the president, then what I really have liked to do is talk to my committee chairs, because those are the ones that are not elected but appointed, to talk to them about delegation. Not only do um, you know officers and board members need to learn how to delegate, but committee chairs have to too. And that's why we encourage them to delegate to their vice chair. And they need to have their feelers out and find out which committee members are interested in this part of the committee action, et cetera. So it's, it's all a delegation downline and delegation and trust go hand in hand. And I think underneath what you guys are saying, there's another uh, theme that's going through that is trust happens when things are getting done. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, uh, uh, making sure that things are moving forward and, uh, you know, your committees are accomplishing their goals and that kind of thing, that I think that is, you know, is, uh, creates trustworthiness probably more than anything else. Um, so uh, was, was there another? We hand yes, we, we have. Hands? Yes, we have uh, four hands here. Uh, the first being. Judy. Oh, yes. Hi, uh, this is Judy Brown from uh, Washington Council of the Blind. Hi, everyone. Hey. And um, I just wanted just to more, more or less support what's been said because of my experience, not only with Washington Council of the Blind, but with another leadership uh, role that I had in Maine, uh, running a very large organization. One way to sort of micro delegate to people is even if they're not part of your committee, is to find out what their level of uh, activity comfort level is. So perhaps it would be making one phone call. That's what they want to do and encouraging them to do that. Or maybe it's talking to another member to assist getting somebody else to be active. And recently for convention, we reached out uh, in one of my committees, we reached out to a couple of people that have skills with uh, media and things like that. And they have since gone on within Washington Council of the Blind to be much more active now because of their media skills that they had already and just went with that. And it was just because they helped us about three years ago to do some um, media work for a convention presentation. Great, thanks, Judy. Sure. Next person. Ray Campbell. All right. Good presentation, guys. Um, I knew uh, I knew this would be good. Um, so I'd like to ask the three of you. Um, do you have examples in your years of leadership of people who maybe you delegated something to or you put them on a committee? It didn't go well. But then they learn from that and they have gone and these people have gone on to either be good, good to delegate things to or good committee members. 
And we just got a few minutes left. So if you, I'll just if, answer as one person answering, that's okay. This is Julie. Sure, yes, sure. Ray, I have. And something that's been interesting, sometimes delegation doesn't work. Sometimes it isn't the person's skill set. But mainly what I've seen, when you know they have skills, you know they can do it. The first, second time around might not work, but after that it can. And you've got to keep diligent with that person. Trusting them. Keep, yeah, keep giving them trust, right? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Great. All right. And Doug, I think that, that brings us to our time today. So on uh, behalf of the Borough College Leadership Institute, I want to thank everyone for attending. I want to give a big thanks to our panelists, uh, Julie, Artis, and Arlene. And thank you, Doug, for uh, helping me navigate the ship today. Thank you. And, uh, thank you, everyone. So, and if, if anybody if anybody wants to, um, you know, have their questions answered, um, how, how can we do this? Um, if if you, uh, I know you, uh, we don't do personal emails, but I have a president at aavl blind seniorsorg address. That's aavl. Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss, dash blind, dash seniors, dot org. And if you want to ask a question, we'll, we'll get, we'll get an answer to you. <laughs> yes. And also want to give a quick plug for the committee's uh, monthly community call on the second Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, usually discussing a different topic each month so if this is you know this these sort of leadership areas something you're interested in definitely um be sure to look for that on the community schedule again second thursday nine eastern i think All the right. next month uh, i think the next month is going to be talking about the roles of the secretary and the treasurer very good thank you all Excellent panel. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Doug. Thank you, Arlene. Thank you, Artis. Thank you, Julie. My biggest challenge is how do you not fall into the trap of, of delegating too much to those you know will get the job done? Yes. <laughs> That's always a challenge. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, thank you. Bringing new people along. Yeah. You've got to go find the new people. And that's, yeah, yeah that, that's, you got to broaden the bench whenever you can. So thank you all so, so much. Appreciate thank you, Dan. Excellent conversation. Well, very good. Now we're going to move on to have an opportunity to meet our third uh, ACB board of director that was elected in 2021. Let's meet Connie Sims. Against the light-colored background, the letters ACB. Below each letter is its corresponding braille cell. Together for a bright future. Meet ACB board member Connie Sims with ACB president Dan Spoon. Dan is a white, middle-aged and clean-shaven man, balding and with white hair at his temples. He wears a red sport shirt. I'd like to welcome Connie Sims from Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Connie has uh, the privilege of not being elected only in 2021, but also in 2022. So Connie, uh, welcome as one of our new board members for the American Council of the Blind. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm honored to be on the board. 
Well, thank you. How, how was it to run two years in a row back to back? I had to do that one time and it's, it's fairly stressful. It is very stressful. <laughs> I will admit it was very stressful. Yeah. And I, I'm glad I don't have to run now for a few years. So. <laughs> that's, that's nice. He's like, Oh, okay. I don't have to worry about that for the next couple yeah, of years. I'm thinking, yeah. Coming up, it's like, Oh, I, I can just relax this year and I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> that's great. Well, Connie, tell us a little bit about your vision journey and kind of, uh, you know, what caused your vision loss and, and got you involved a little in the American Council of the Blind. Connie is a white, middle-aged woman with long, dark hair. She wears a pink sweater over a white top and colorful necklace. Her ears are adorned with long earrings. All right. Um, so I was born with aniridia. Um, so I've always been legally blind. Um, with aniridia, you have um, the iris. So I don't, some people have a stump. I don't have any. Um, because of that, um, I don't have the pupils either. So when people look at me, you see the reflection off my optic nerve. Um, so growing up, I always said I had brown eyes because my mom had brown eyes and I wore glasses and now I wear some special contacts. So my eyes look more blue. So, um, and then I ended up having some cornea transplants and they had to remove my lenses also at that time. So with the contacts I have now, that's my consider my lenses. Um, so it's always been pretty stable um, for most of my life, but then it, you know, it changes up and down. I can have good days or bad days. Yesterday was kind of one of those days. Um, but, you know, I would say what my vision loss fan has kind of taught me is you, you can face anything. You know, I've asked, people have asked me, well, don't you wish you could see 2020? Yeah, I do, but I don't know what it is. I've never seen 2020. So the vision loss has taught me that I can accomplish anything. I can be very strong. I set my goals. And just because you have a vision loss doesn't mean that you can't be fully engaged in the community. So um, I've had a lot of struggles and I've overcome them. But I think all of us do, no matter what so the vision loss has been a journey um lots of surgeries um and i may always lose my sight i don't know fully but it's it's a challenge but knowing that i can overcome it and i'm uh, i'm proud of what i've done over the years and i set my goals and i i believe in them and i think you can accomplish it Fantastic. Well, tell us a little bit about what motivated you to run for the ACB Board of Directors. You know, um, so I've always, I've been a member of ACB since 84. Um, I hadn't been to many conventions. 84 was my first one in Philadelphia as a student. And of course, things have really changed since then. Um, so it kind of shows my age, but... Um, <laughs> Hey, now we're all kind of uh, dealing with that. <laughs> yeah, we all are. You know, it's part of life. You know, I guess so. Better than the alternative. Um, but when I went in twenty, I was president of STAB or South Dakota Association of Blind. So I represented South Dakota. Um, Seth was supposed to go with me, but he um, ended up becoming ill. That's right before COVID or started COVID. But I went in. I didn't know a whole lot of people. I knew some. Um, and of course, I had been on the transportation committee. Um, 
So I knew a few people from there, but I really hadn't really met them in person. So it really inspired me. Um, once I was there in person, um, my, my job situation hadn't really allowed me to travel a lot because I was so busy. I was, you know, no one really had the cover for me with my practice. So it was like an inspiration. I mean, it, I sat and I visited with like Kelly and Pat Sheehan and Penny Reader and David and Rana Trot and different ones, Doug Paul, a whole bunch of people. And it was so encouraging and so welcoming that ACB, I just, I came back and I felt like I really wanted to get more involved in the national level. I've always been involved on state and local, but the family feel is, it was so encouraging and uplifting and welcoming that it, it really inspired me and the support of other members is what really helped just knowing that you had other people who believed in you and um, had the same goals yeah this dc leadership conference i I've, I've always felt of the different activities we do inside of acb the leadership conference really is the place that gives up-and-coming future leaders of ACB an opportunity to really get to know each other. It's, it's very powerful. I, I'm excited that we're going to get to go back, uh, both virtual, but also have an opportunity to get in, back in person this year, because you just can't put a, a value on those personal connections. That's great, Connie. Hey, Tell us a little bit about where you see the future of the American Council of Blind over the next five years. You know, it's hard to say. You know, I, I look back and I think, um, I think we need to keep working on our strategic plan. Um, looking back at, you know, what did we set for our goals for the one, three, five-year goal? Um, I review it every so often, believe it or not. I know people think that's probably crazy. Um, but I, I think it's good because as an organization or a business, you have to have those goals and challenges. And, you know, who knows what's going to happen in the next five years? You know, we never predicted COVID. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so flex, flexibility and initiative are definitely two of our five core values. <laughs> exactly. They are. It was wonderful. You know, because it's like we I think we're a stronger organization. You know, we look at we transpired. We could have shut down. We could have folded, but we we rallied and look at how strong we are. You know, we've gotten more people involved with the community. Um, just people who never probably would have participated in things. You know, all the meetings now is Zoom and video and um, just, it's, I think it's awesome. And I, so I see that we can still revolve and, and look for the future. I mean, we want to be fiscally responsible. So we want to make sure that you know, what all the things we want, because, you know, everyone wants gobs of stuff. I'm sure you and Leslie want gobs of stuff, you know, you want to do and you want to, you know, have all these activities. Right. And, you know, and Seth and I are probably that same way, but you have to be realistic, you know, so it's like, can we afford this or can we do that? And I think that's something that we need to look at too. But, you know, I think we need to plan because if you don't plan and set goals um, and dream, you never know what's going to happen. 
I agree. I agree. So, Connie, tell me, you and Seth, what do you guys do to have fun? Tell us a little bit of the, the fun side of Connie Sims. I don't know. Um, you know, some people think it's kind of crazy, um, but I enjoy just being out in my yard. Seth and I garden. We have several garden beds, um, all different kinds of flowers. And we used to have a vegetable garden. We have it now for a couple of years, but I enjoy that. I mean, that's, it's fun. It's being out in nature. It's enjoying. Um, one of the things I enjoy is being with my girlfriends. Um, you know, if it's local ones here, or I look at, you know, my girlfriends in Florida and Oregon and Missouri, and if, you know, it depends on who you're with, you know, each friend has different interests, but if it's hanging out and just chatting and laughing and telling stories or just being fun and goofy or going out and bargain shopping. I mean, um, my mom was known as the, the biggest bargain shopper and I, I don't, I think I'm a pretty good bargain shopper, but not like her. But I mean, it's fun to go out and bargain shop and go to secondhand stores and see all the fun stuff you can find or how cheap you can get it. Well, thank you, Connie. Thank you for your contributions of your time, talent, and treasure to the American Council of the Blind. And thank you for sharing a few of your thoughts with us today. Well, thank you. And I appreciate it. And I look forward to seeing what ACB can do in the future. A logo, ACB, in print and braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. I tell you, I am loving those board interviews. It's great to get to know our board members better. And here we are, Cindy and Lucy, we're ready for our third and final connection show of the day. Yes, sir. Welcome yes, back, everybody. <laughs> So yeah. before we get um, going too far, I was told to remind folks that if you are trying to listen to the Spanish content on ACB Media 7 uh, and you are getting English, you want to unplug your device and just leave it unplugged for about 30 seconds and then plug it back in and try again. So it's just remembering probably went to ACB Media 6 first and it's remembering that. So that's how you get around that with our Alexa device. Oh, I probably am going to set mine off now. Uh, anyway, <laughs> hi, Lucy. Hi. I just wanted to say to our Zoom host that one of our presenters during this little segment has her hand raised. It's the area code 215 phone number. Oh, so yeah, she's already unmuted. Oh, good. All <laughs> right. Okay. That's awesome. All right. All right. Thank you. Perfect. Thanks, Lucy, for watching that. Man, oh, That's man. So, um, yeah, so let's jump in and hear from Pam about the one of our newest committees, the Mental Health Committee. And I, I may be wrong on the name. Is that the right name or am I messing it up? Mm -hmm. ACB Mental Health and Wellness Committee. There you go. Okay. There you go. I stand corrected. Uh, <laughs> so tell us, when have you guys gotten, uh, you know, gotten going so far? I know you're brand new. So, what, well, I think that uh, brand new didn't start with all of this because we've been pretty busy as a committee. You know, we were established actually officially in July. 
but we needed to do some of the foundational things like get members and things like that. Mm-hmm. And for us, what we did was a bit um, non-traditional, whereas people have been able to just, you know, say, I want to be on the committee. Uh, Dan, it was Dan's guidance. We did actually an application process. And we did that because we wanted different types of people on the committee. And the response was amazing. We had um, 40 applications that were completed that we could go through with them, but we had 65 other people who called saying they wanted to be on the committee, although some said they didn't want to be on the committee, but if we (laughs) needed them, they were there. Okay, so it was that kind of environment that we were in. And since we started, um, we've uh, done presentation to the Kentucky Council of Blind. We did something for Texas. Uh, Minnesota, Maryland. We're working on something with Next Gen and the California um, Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss. We've gotten a call from New York, and we're starting to get calls from out our external partners who are saying they've heard about us. So it's been that kind of a season so far. And, of course, like everybody else, we are working on our convention this summer, and it's going to be a great one. Great. All right. That's really exciting. How many how many people are on your committee? Actually, we have 10 people on the committee. And it's interesting because the way this committee is going to be structured, again, it's a bit unique through a series of subcommittees mm-hmm. uh, where the people on the committee would be the lead and then they'd have different you know, kinds of projects and things they'd work on because mental health and wellness is so broad. And so we couldn't have everybody we wanted or even needed on the committee, but using that subcommittee approach, we'll do just fine. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's somebody that uh, has approached me saying that they had applied, did not get, you know, um, on the committee, mm-hmm. but they still could be involved if they, uh, if they had the expertise or interest area that you're looking for, then Yes. Yes, indeed. And that was something we even put in, I'll call it, to be polite, the non-selection letter. Got it, okay, yeah. That actually yeah. said we would be keeping, <laughs> you know, and so they, I don't know what it is, but they, nobody should be surprised if they get a call. And by the way, that's okay. including whether you applied to be on the committee or not. <laughs> we know how to pick up the phone. Delegation, yeah. right? <laughs> we just, we just about heard that. about that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm on that committee, by the way. <laughs> I, I was sitting here learning. But if I could, just a few minutes about sure. the committee and the work. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's that. All right. So when we thought about this, and as this thing was coming together, in a way, we had a, uh, we had a work group. But even prior to that, mental health and wellness had been a topic in our organization because we realized that we are all people and blindness does not prevent mental illness. However, blindness does not mean mental illness. So we had done some work and did some things, talked about it, uh, worked with Dan and Deb too, of what might be the best instruction, the best structure and what we could do. So I'm just going to give it to you in three simple words, advocacy. If there's one thing the American Council of the Blind is good at, it is advocacy. Mm -hmm. And we need a lot of advocacy in the mental health field because a lot of things are happening 
um, to blind people and things that should not happen. So we want to be involved in that. We're also very good at resource development. When our community needs something, if it's not there, we're very good at finding partners and creating it. And the other one is education. Now, I want to give a shout out to Cindy and Lucy and the rest of your team, because one of the things I have noticed, I decided to do this little research project, and I would go to um, community calls that might have something to do with mental illness or mental health or even mental wellness. And I tried to sneak in by using my area code, but it didn't work. Pam, so what are you doing in here? Yeah, you know, see, kind of yes. So, <laughs> because what I found was there was a wonderful, wonderful community that was being established and is established of people who care about each other. And that goes a long way when it comes to dealing, us dealing with issues of mental health and mental wellness. So we're not necessarily saying that we're going to be providing therapy and groups and things like that. Although I will tell you there are people in our organization with those credentials, but what we're going to do is work together so that those organizations that do have the specialization are in touch with us and we're partnering with them so that we can see that people get what they need. So that's what's going on. Wow. Exciting. And true enough, I am uh, always taken back by the level of care that people feel for one another and express and share and the the vulnerability that is shared within the community because it's become a trusted place yeah. and yeah. people may not get those hugs in person, but mm-hmm. they, they definitely feel them. Um, and I will say ain't nothing like the real thing. Okay. That is so true. <laughs> are you, are you going to be there in person, Pam? Uh, I will not be there next oh. week, even though it's not far from Philly, oh. but I had an accident that injured my back, and the doctor said, oh. since I can't dance yet, he's not recommending that I go. So <laughs> I don't know oh, where you got that. Shucky darns. Yeah. But I, do have to, I do have to say this to you, though, of an incident that happened um, a couple of weeks ago when we were in Minnesota, and our particular presentation was social isolation. And when it was mm-hmm. over, we asked people, you know, we had a Q&A period. And this young woman stands up, and this really touched my heart because I don't know her, and Mm -hmm. she doesn't know me, but she stood up in this room full of people and announced her particular mental health condition and shared. And see, that, that touched my heart because that says something to all of us about who we really are and how we see each other. It's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. And yeah. we're all there, you know, in some way, shape or form. Right. That's so, mm-hmm, Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Pam. I know we're going to have you back in a couple of days. Yep. So uh, looking forward to that. We are going to move on. We've got Janet here to talk about convention, talking about getting and, together. And I oh, was yeah. going to say, Pam, <laughs> that just keep going. You're, you're so interesting with all the talk about your committee and thank you for the plug for minnesota and our convention mm-hmm. and yes that was pretty amazing yeah. <laughs> so um hello everybody thank hey, you there's for this thing me. called convention coming up in there a few is. months and uh, yeah yeah, there yeah. Is. um and we listened to you after last year's convention because 
after last year's convention, people said, you know, we really like the convention to end with the banquet and the final tour. It was fine having these Zoom days after the convention with resolutions and the roll call vote, but we really want to be done when that final gavel. <laughs> <laughs> so we listened and we are reformatting the convention a little bit. And I'm going to go into that real quickly. And then Monday when I'm on again, I'll talk about tours. And I am doing a presentation tomorrow afternoon during the president's meeting. So you'll get a lot about convention. Um, and give me like a 45 second Lucy or Cindy when you, you need me it. to be done so I can okay. give some contact information. Sounds and good. one thing I wanted to clarify, and maybe I misunderstood, but when David was on and you were talking about the Braille form raffle, you can purchase a ticket on the registration form if you're greedy like me and don't want to share and want to buy the whole ticket yep. for yourself. If yep, you want to share, yeah. did you? Okay, I'm, I misunderstood. Yeah. I thought you said yeah. something about you wished it was on the registration. No, form. I said you. Okay. It is. Yes, yes mm -hmm. it is. Yes. Uh -huh. Yes. And like I said, greedy people like me who want all the money, but you know, <laughs> like Cindy, I keep uh -huh. holding. All right. So let's talk a little bit about convention registration will open on May 18th for ACB members and on May 25th for non-ACB members. Uh, registration for members is $35 plus anything that you want to add on, such as banquet luncheons that, and tours. Uh, for non-ACB members, registration will open on May 25th and that will be $50. However, since we've been talking about membership, if you are not a member of ACB and would like to become a member at large, you can do that. And then you can register on the 18th of May as any member would. And the at-large membership is $10. So you save $5. So yeah. it's a win-win yeah, so situation. Thank you. You're doing part of my job right there. That's <laughs> great. Know, we, I we like it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and registration will close on June 16th. So that's a little bit about registration. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what's going to be happening. We're going to start out on June 14th with the Candidates Forum, which will be held virtually. And then on Saturday, June 17th, as Leslie said, we will have our ACB summer auction virtually with the two days pre prior to that as the, appet as the uh, appetizer auction. What was she calling it? Something she had. She oh, had she said the for. appetizer auction. Yeah, but she, she said to wet her, to wet, wet your noodle. Wet your noodle. Wet your noodle. I knew it was appetizer auction. I yeah, was trying yeah. to think of what else yeah. she's called. <laughs> and um, then on Monday, June 19th, we are actually going to call the convention to order virtually and go through the standing rules and um, some other reports, credentials, and then we will follow that with the nominating committee. And the reason we're doing the call to order virtually is so that ACB affiliates that need to have their board meetings during the convention are able to do that um, prior to the start of the convention if they wish to have those virtually. On Tuesday, June 20th through Thursday, June 22nd, we will hear in the evenings about resolutions and then starting on Wednesday, we will have, we did this last year, and it was very successful. We will have the, the um, exhibitor open house where we will give all of our exhibitors a chance to come and talk to 
convention attendees or not convention attendees virtually, and you can hear about what all the uh, exhibitors are going to have in place during the convention. Then we will have virtual sessions starting on Thursday, June 22nd, running through Saturday, June 24th, and we will do those all day. We'll have several different sessions where affiliates can have their business meetings, committees, and um, special interest affiliates can have programming and maybe some business partner programming. So that is the prior to convention virtual portion of the convention. Then we move on to Schaumburg starting Friday, June 30th, running through Friday, July 7th. And that will be our in-person and our hybrid portion of the convention. We are going to have a couple different hybrid rooms again this year as we did last year. So there will be sessions that are hybrid. We will have some in-person sessions, which will be things like mixers and other sessions that lend themselves well to being in person. And I, I, when I talk to committees and special interest affiliates, I say, think back to 2019 before we had Zoom. So these in-person sessions will still be recorded. They'll still be available for podcast. They just will not have a Zoom capability. And we're also offering during the session, so, or during um, the in-person convention, we are offering, um, if some affiliates or committees wish to do this, we're offering some Zoom only sessions so that people can uh, sit in their room or in the uh, ACB cafe or the lounge or wherever and participate in a session that is strictly via Zoom. Um, opening general session is Saturday, July 1st. And then on Sunday, July 2nd, we're doing something a little different. Instead of having a general session that morning, we are having two breakout sessions. Uh, they will be concurrent breakout sessions. I've been told that one, I know that one of them is going to be put on by the Pedestrian Access Committee and Transportation Committee, and the other is going to be a session on advocacy. And then we will have a go back to our regular general session format Monday through Wednesday in the morning and Thursday um, until we're done, which will be approximately one o'clock on Thursday. We're going to try something different with the exhibit hall this year because the exhibitors actually suggested this to us. We are going to have a Sunday evening exhibit hall. So we'll be open Saturday from. They're going to want to start winding okay, up. Okay, one yeah. to five, <laughs> Sunday from three to nine, and then Tuesday, when uh, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And I'm going to wind up now. If you are not receiving emails and would like to, send a blank email to ACB Convention plus subscribe at acblists.org. All of my messages have information on how to make your hotel reservations. Room rates are $98 plus 15% tax. If you have any questions at all, feel free to email me at janet.dickelman, D-I-C-K-E-L-M-A-N at gmail.com or call me at 651-428-5059. And I will be back talking about convention tomorrow afternoon and on a Connect show again on Monday. All right. And thank you for Nicely having me. Nicely done. Well, that All was right. a good wind up the there. Job. Good job. <laughs> All right. Well, All right. And I'll be on a Connect show tomorrow talking about awards. Oh, yeah. We'll see right. you guys then. Do you think yeah. you can, uh, Lucy, give a quick yep. view of what we've got coming up? 
Yep, four o'clock. Sponsor presentations by Eric Bridges. 415 is our keynote speaker, Sharon Giovanazzo from the CEO of the uh, San Francisco Lighthouse. At uh, 4.50 p.m. ACB is the uh, video, the highlights of the year. 5 p.m. is the DKM First Timers Program with Kenneth Semyon. And 5.15 p.m. updates from the ACB Board of Publications. 5.30 p.m. Uh, is what's, what's new with the ACB community? <laughs> <laughs> all right. All so right. we'll see you all back at 5.30. And we're going to turn it back to you, Dan. Thank <laughs> you, Cindy and Lucy. Great job. And we'll talk soon. All right. All right. I'm... I'm now very honored to introduce Eric Bridges, our executive director, to share with us the wonderful corporate sponsors for this year's 2023 DC Leadership Conference, our individual sponsors, and then introduce our wonderful keynote speaker. So, Eric. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, this is, this is a fun thing that we get to do every year, and really for the last decade or so, uh, for the for the leadership conference, we have been very fortunate to have corporate partners sponsor these events, and uh, be they virtual, be they in person, uh, there are great partners from different sectors of our economy that have uh, helped to support the mission and these events. So why don't we get down to it? We've got several sponsors this year. The presidential sponsor, presidential is $10,000. And uh, thank you very much to the Mobile Voting Project for being a presidential sponsor. And then we've got the Beltway uh, sponsors. That's $2,000 to $4,500. We've got Vispero, American Printing House for the Blind, Waymap, and Enhanced Voting. Uh, you know, their support of the American Council of the Blind and the work that we do is greatly appreciated. Some of these companies also support us during the convention and it allows us, you know, their, their financial support allows us to, to continue to, to do more, uh, to, to be able to hire, to be able to have these events that, that cost money. Uh, like Eric, can you hear me? Yes. Sorry, this is Gabe. I'm sorry, we're just, could you pause for five seconds? There's a transition going on right now with the interpreters. Oh, no problem. Okay. Joanne, is that Lisa? Okay, yeah, go on, Eric. Thank you. Okay. No problem. With that, uh, thank you to, the, to our corporate sponsors. A really cool thing that we've done for the first time for these meetings just this year uh, is to allow folks during the registration process to become individual sponsors, just like at our convention. And uh, so without further ado, why don't we uh, take a gander at the list of individual sponsors for this year's leadership conference? These are the individual sponsors for the 2023 ACB Leadership Conference. Gold, $100 DC Leadership Individual Sponsors, Deb Cook-Lewis, Karen Campbell, Ray Campbell, Dan Spoon, Dennis Bell, Sherry Richardson, Gene Mann, Andrew Arvidson, John McCann, 
Diana de Oliveira. The silver $50 DC leadership individual sponsors are Leslie Spoon, Marilee Hill Kennedy, Deborah Grubb, Donna Brown, Peter Hyde, Richard Johnson, Jennifer Harnish, Michael Alvarez, Kim Charlson, Brian Charlson, Deborah Robinson, Diana de Oliveira, Sharon Lockhart, Pam Shaw. The $25 bronze DC leadership individual sponsors are Christine Hunsinger, Judy Levere, Mary Haroyan, Thomas Cummings, Deanna Noriega, Danette Dixon, Mariam Abdul Sattar, Regina Brink, Doug Hall, Susan Crawford, Deborah Versteeg, Colette Arvidson, Rita Kirsch, Lee Nasahi, Sally Benjamin, Patty Fletcher, Joseph Nasahi, Nathan Ruggles, Roseanne Ashby, Marsha Farrow, Christy Crespin, Nellie Emerson, Cheryl McNeil Fisher, Patty Slavey, Cheryl Cummings, Sheila Styron, Robert White, Marcus Manning, Donald Coors, Michael Byington, Alice Richhart, Terry Lynn Higashi, Gurmay Mickle, Kathy Lyons, Michael Nava, Diana de Oliveira, James Murphy, Anne Byington, Teresa Petri, Linda Farrell, Deborah McDonald, Mary Tyson, Michael Moran, Margie DeMars, Rachel Schroeder, Penny Moss, Terry Pacheco. A big thank you to all the sponsors of the 2023 ACV Leadership Conference. Wow, what an outstanding list. And again, you know, this is the first year we're doing this. I, I think it's so awesome that that so many folks uh, took advantage of this opportunity to to show their support for ACB through this leadership conference. Thank you to everyone. Uh, quick question for the host. Is our, is our speaker in the audience or up here with us yet? She is not. I'll okay. We are running a little ahead of schedule. So Eric, this is Dan. Yeah. I was doing a quick count. I believe I counted 71 different individuals that are sponsoring the DC Leadership Conference. It's amazing. That is simply amazing. Yes. I thank you, everybody. Wow. That's that means a lot. It means a whole, whole lot for our organization. So thank you all so, so much. Absolutely. I have just invited our uh, speaker to join us on the panel. Excellent. Thank you very much. Hey, Eric. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Hi, Sharon. Here's our here's our speaker, everybody. Um, I have known uh, our keynote speaker for nearly 20 years, which is pretty crazy thinking about it. Uh, I met her uh, for the first time at the uh, let's see, Central Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Utica, New York. Um, I was there working for National Industries for the Blind, and I was meeting with a, a congressman that represented that area and uh, met her there. And then 
she and I went through uh, business management training uh, through through NIB and the the Darden School for Management at the University of Virginia, um, along with about twenty five other uh, young blind folks that wanted to pursue careers and you know more on the on the business side of things, and so it was outstanding getting to know her back then and to see what she's done really since then in her career. She's got a, a really interesting and compelling story to, to share with you all about her journey uh, in blindness, as well as, you know, her professional life, where she's been, what she's, what she's up to now and what she wants to do in the future. She was recently uh, named CEO of the Lighthouse for the Visually Impaired, Blind and Visually Impaired in San Francisco. Before that, she was in Arkansas for several years, uh, leading the World Services for the Blind. So uh, very, very different areas of the country, Sharon, very different folks. Um, but um, I'm, I'm excited to see what she does in San Francisco. And uh, it gives me great pleasure to introduce a, a colleague and, and friend, Sharon Giovanazzo. Sharon. Thanks, Eric. Yeah, we both were a little bit younger 20 years ago. I would say so, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. It's been a great journey, though. That was 2004, I think, when we started, or 2005. So, yeah, yeah, that was impressive enough that I wanted to follow you. And I went to go do public policy at NIB because of you and your visit to um, Central Association for the Blind and Visually Impaired. So thank you so much, everybody, for the opportunity to join you guys today. Thank you, Eric, for the invite. I appreciate it. I'm always a little intimidated um, talking with people that I have literally rode in on the coattails of because of all because of everything that you did before I came along and lost my sight at the age of 31. And this will be my first time giving a keynote on Zoom, believe it or not. So um, this is a different dynamic. It's just it not sure is. It's a little yeah, different. Yeah, this is hard. <laughs> I really tried to get my head around it, but we're right in the middle of our Braille challenge today. We're hosting it for Northern uh, for NoCal, and um, it's really exciting. We have about 200 people here in the building with 22 participants that's um, participating in the Braille challenge. So we're very, very, very excited today. So this has been one I've kind of had to pull because Eric said, you know, share your journey. So we're just going to call it each journey begins with just one step. And, um, you know, there's a famous song by Simon and Garfunkel called Hello, Darkness, My Old Friend. And I never thought that it would kind of become my life's song. I was never able to imagine a world filled with darkness, void of light. When I was a child, I would sleep with a flashlight underneath the bed and there would be a nightlight with a warm amber glow over in the corner, you know, because there was things that went bump in the night and I didn't view darkness as my friend. Um, as an adult, I lived in Alaska where the summers were filled with light 24 hours a day and the winters were cold and dark, but they were never completely dark because the sky glows almost like a twilight. Then there's the northern lights that you could add to the mix of that. They would light up the sky and dance around like dancers in a Broadway musical, adorned with beautifully colored costumes, flowing like drapes at a gentle breeze. So who would have thought that my worst nightmare would come true? It was May of 2001, and I just hadn't been feeling like myself. I'm not sure who I was feeling like, but I didn't like that person. 
I'd been suffering from really bad headaches and I felt like somebody had my head in a trash compactor and just wouldn't release the button. The pressure grew in my head every day and I felt as if it was going to blow up. I knew that I had to do something. So I made my way to the phone and called the doctor's office. Well, I told the nurse what was going on and she said they could get me in that day. So they made me an appointment. I fumbled around, found the car keys, ran into the door frame on the way out and went and seen the doctor. And I remember driving down the road. I'll never forget this because it was the last day I drove. It was May 9th of 2001 and driving down the road and people were honking at me. I was just kind of going along with the flow of the traffic. And so made it to the doctor's office, went in and grabbed the paperwork from the receptionist, found a chair and sat down. I went and I clutched a pin in my left hand and I went to go fill out the stupid paperwork. And I couldn't see the writing on it. It just appeared to be blank. So I went back up to the counter and I told her, I said, I think you made a mistake. I think you gave me blank paper. And I know that she must have looked at me like I had three heads. And she said, go and have a seat and the doctor will be with you shortly. So I returned to my seat and I sat down and just in time for the nurse to get me into the other room. And so when the doctor arrived, I explained to him what was happening, that my headaches, my vision seems to be getting worse every day. And he took me out into the hallway to read the eye chart at the end of the hallway. I couldn't see the end of the hallway, never mind the eye chart. So he told me, he said, there really isn't anything that we can do for you today. Um, he asked how I got there. And I told him I drove. And so at that point, he took my keys away from me. He wasn't any fun. I know people are probably as blind as I am driving around some of these parts. And um, so took a cab home. He made arrangements for me to see a neurologist. And like I said, that was the last day that I had drove. Um, three days went by and I literally walked from, in from the doctor's office and went to my bed. There was times that I honestly felt like I would have had to get better to die. Um, you know, the dishes were piling up in the sink and the laundry needed to be done. And every time I would lift my head up off the pillow, it would fall back down like it was just a hundred pound weight attached to my neck. So I got up to take a shower to go see the neurologist, went into the kitchen to look for the keys and found them. And then I remembered, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to be doing this. And I had kind of done that a lot lately. And I didn't, I'd never really made the assumption that there was actually something wrong with how I was seen. So same thing. I went to the doctor's office, tripped over a chair as soon as I got there. And the receptionist just brought me straight back in. She was able to see I wasn't in any condition to fill out paperwork. So she brought me back and we went through that paperwork together. I laid down, waited for the doctor to come in, sat up a little bit too fast, explained to the neurologist I was having awful headaches and I just don't seem to be seeing right. And so he completed an exam, but he didn't offer a diagnosis. So at this point, I'm getting pretty frustrated. It just went on and on and on and on. He said he wasn't really sure what was going on. So he sent me for some additional tests. But he said that night, he said, you need to go see an eye doctor. He said, we need to eliminate that there's an eye problem. So he made arrangements. The doctor was right down the road. He called a taxi and I went to go see the doctor, the eye doctor. I arrived there and he met me as he said that he would, extended a hand. And I thanked him and thanked him for staying late for me. And he brought me back and this room that was just filled with equipment. He had the brightest lights known to man that he was shining in my eyes. And frankly, it didn't it didn't do anything for me. Um, I, you know, I told him, I said, I'm sure there's not anything wrong, 
you know, that this is just something and it will pass. Of course, I knew that, right? Because, I mean, why not? He only went to school for how many years to be a doctor for me to diagnose myself? So he put drops in my eyes and he looked through it and he said, the, the only thing I, I remember that at that time, the only thing I could see was the big E just right in front of my face. And he said that he felt like something called a demyelinization disease was causing damage to my optic nerves. And I guess I probably sat there and looked at him like he had three heads that time because I really didn't know what he was talking about. So he called my neurologist and he explained what he thought it was and said that I would have to have an MRI completed. So yet another doctor's appointment I was going to have to make. Not being able to drive myself. My husband was getting frustrated, couldn't go to work. And so I remember him walking me down and I sat on the curb to wait for my husband. And he asked if I wanted you know, him to stay with me. And I said, no. I said, I just need to be alone for right now. And, you know, at this point, my husband was getting pretty frustrated. It wasn't just all the doctor's appointments, but there wasn't any answers at that point in time. And he says, all right. He said, let's go home. And so I remember that car ride home. I just put my head against the window and closed my eyes. And I remember him mumbling over on the driver's side, you know, when are they going to do something for you? And, you know, I realized he was getting frustrated. One thing that you understand um, that men always want to do is fix something. And I realized that was his frustration because he couldn't at that time. But as every day passed, I lost self-confidence. I lost independence. Um, I was in a downhill spiral at that point in time. And I assured him after the MRI would be done that, you know, we would have some answers and that the doctors would fix it. And so we went home and walked through the kitchen and he kind of mumbled, just looks like another night without dinner. So at that point, my strength, my patience, you know, it just started to wear on me. So I just walked slowly toward the bedroom and crawled into bed, closed my eyes and eventually went to sleep. So I went three days later for my MRI. When it was completed, I returned home back to that same bed where the dishes were piling up. And at that point, I didn't care. But I got a phone call the next day from the doctor. And he told me, he said, you have lesions on your brain stem. He said, We're, we definitely know now that you have multiple sclerosis. And that's what's causing my vision loss. So at last, I had an answer. And I asked the doctor what he was going to do to make it better. Well, he explained to me that the lesions were areas of damage to the myelin, which causes the signals to become distorted or confused. He gave me an example of an electrical wire that had a short in it. He had felt that the optic nerves only had some inflammation around them and that my symptoms would clear up by themselves. He told me he would write me a prescription for some pain medication and I should rest and see him in a week. I hung up the phone in disbelief at this time. I remember just sitting there and staring at it after I hung up the phone. And I was thinking, what did he just tell me? And he just told me this over the phone. Of course, I was thankful that I didn't have to go to the doctor's office, right? And then I thought to myself, what did he mean? I have multiple sclerosis. I called my husband crying and told him what the doctor said. He said he would talk to me when he got home to just relax and not worry. Boy, that was the best advice I was ever given. Just relax and don't worry. It'll be fine. That was easy for him to say because for me, it sounded like a death sentence. And so I returned to bed and minutes turned into hours and hours turned into days. My vision and my self-esteem, they diminished on a daily basis. And I was enduring a constant emotional roller coaster ride. I was unable to accept the thought of being unable to see normally and being able to live my life. 
So I finally told myself that I really needed to get out of bed and get on with my life. And that's exactly what I did. And although I didn't know it at the time, it was that very first phone call that I made that would put me on the road to success and introduce me to the world of vision rehabilitation. I questioned what I was capable of doing. After all, my vision was getting worse day by day. So we started off, you know, with good old orientation and mobility training. You know, just walked around the block the first time. Then the next time it was stepping off the curb. Um, he told me what to expect every time that we went around and we did something. After about six months of having orientation and mobility training twice a week and trying to cancel on him on a regular, and he wouldn't <laughs> let me say, well, we'll just, we'll just take a short walk. Well, it's 100 degrees out. It's too hot. No, we'll go walk at the mall. Would never let me cancel. And I remember it was a week before Thanksgiving of 2001. And, you know, about six months into lessons, um, we returned to my house to set up the next appointment. And he sat on my couch and he said, OK, he said the next lesson, he said, you're going to learn how to take the bus. And I just laughed at him. I said, I didn't take the bus when I could see. Why would I now that I'm blind? And he came back. He had a really dry sense of humor. He came back. He said, well, he said, when you could see, you could drive. He said, that's probably why you didn't take the bus. Wow. If anybody remembers the V8 commercials? where they slapped themselves on the head. Wow, I could have had a V8. Wow, that was probably the truest statement that turned my life around at that point in time. Um, I got services at the agency when I was asked if I was having problems around the house. I was. And I remember bursting into tears when the, when the rehab counselor asked me if I was having problems putting toothpaste on my toothbrush. And yeah, and that was the one thing I wasn't going to say because I was embarrassed to say it. And she says, well, why don't you just turn the toothbrush around and put the bristles in between your fingers and put the toothpaste on that way? And it's like, wow, these things are so easy and so obvious when you say them. <laughs> so again, you know, one success built on another one. I was able to go back to managing my household duties. I began learning Braille, even though I felt like a kidney gardener all over again, I was learning my ABCs. But I was determined to eventually be able to pick up a book and read it again. Day by day, my vision continued to, to, to decline, though. I recall my very first visit when I was asked what I wanted to do. And I remember my statement was, and Kathy Beavers, who still works for that agency, her and I chat every once in a while. I said, all I want to do is get my vision back and to be able to drive a car. But it didn't seem like that was going to be possible. I remember mourning those things, as a matter of fact, a lot. I got to a point where I no longer could see the computer screen, so I moved that to the attic. I decided that I would not be able to use it anymore, so why keep it around? And it was during one of my independent living classes that we received an introduction to adaptive technology. Who knew? Computers that talk? Well, I didn't know at that time. Now everything I own talks. Um, they introduced me to magnification software, but at that time... I had to have it up at 10 times because my vision continued to decline. And so they encouraged me to explore the JAWS program, which I picked up really fast. And it gave me greater control and speed at that time. And luckily, they seen it because my last measurable vision was December of 2001, when I measured in the one eye at 2 over 400 or 20 over 4,000. That was seven months after my diagnosis. But suddenly, because of all the pieces coming together, I had realized that I could do almost anything that I wanted. I learned of the possibility of employment in college. As an Army veteran at the age of 31, 
I knew that I, if I was going to continue to live an independent and fulfilling life, that I would need to pursue higher education because the only thing that I had learned that I would need alternative ways of doing things. So it was starting to register. I visited the local community college with my CBVH um, counselor in New York and decided to pursue an associates in human services. After all, I knew that I could do some paperwork because of the computer and with technology that I'd be able to talk to people. So I was confident, but I was really still questioning my abilities. I didn't know what I would be able to do. But again, as one success built on another. The same month that I started college, January of 2002, I began working in the industries program where I met Eric. I was working, I was packaging gloves for TSA. Um, you know, those gloves that when you go to the airport and they frisk you with, and yeah, you can thank a blind person for that in upstate New York for doing that to you. And so even though I had a lifetime of experience in the medical field, I was a combat medic in the army. That fall, I was getting ready to go back to college to become an RN, but you know, chasing a person with a red and white cane in one hand and a needle in the other. I didn't think it was going to work out for me. So I knew I needed to do something different, but I had no marketable skills as a person who was blind whatsoever. So I had to start somewhere, but even in that industry's job, I never viewed that job as the only job that I had, could have. I viewed it as a stepping stone that I needed to get myself right first. And I remember that very first day I packed 38 boxes of gloves, which was nothing in comparison but I worked hard. I set my goals higher each day and would work during the day, listen to books on tape and attended classes at night. After the first semester, I found online classes. It was a wonderful thing. So I was still working full time and at the undergrad level was doing 21 and a half credit hours a semester. After some time of packing gloves and having reached the highest goals that I could there, I decided I wanted to do something different. So they taught me how to sew. Once again, I was given the training and the tools and the skills needed to be successful. But I was also able to contribute to society. After all, I knew that I could no longer serve in the military, but we had military products that we were serving the military with and making. And so we were helping to supply the front lines at airports and ports. So at that point, it was personal. So I continued with my studies. Eventually, about three and a half years into the job, I moved from the manufacturing position to a management position to serve as public policy and consumer relations associate, which was a new um, position that was kind of created just for me. And how that happened was I had launched myself into writing letters to DC as to why vision rehab services weren't covered. And unfortunately, 23 years later, we're still asking the same questions. And one of them that was written to, and Eric probably remembers this name, Lorraine Lidoff, landed on the desk of my CEO. Well, he came down to the manufacturing line with the letter. He said, did you write a letter to a lady named Lorraine Lidoff? And I was like, yes. I figured at that point I was sorry. He said, come to my office. <laughs> yes, sir. I'm on my way. So it was kind of new territory for me, but I had great mentors along the way. And like I said, Eric was one of them. Um, I had the necessary supports to be able to reach for the stars and to reach as far as I wanted to. Um, I had the opportunity to have access to full-time employment and to have some dignity back in my life. Eventually that journey would lead me to DC, um, advocating for services and employment for people who are blind for national industries for the blind. Um, and then to Raleigh, North Carolina, where I served as a VP of a large blindness organization, um, Raleigh Lions Clinic for the Blind, now RLCB 
and then on to Little Rock, Arkansas, to serve eight years as the CEO of a residential training facility for people who are blind. But through all of this, I guess my one biggest lesson that I learned was that a lack of sight didn't have to translate into a lack of vision. And that's because I had a lot of exposure to people like you on this call. And I'm so thankful for that. In seven months, I'd lost the rest of my sight. So I went from 2020 to nothing, nothing vision in a matter of seven months. But I had a solid foundation of skills while still enduring a constant emotional roller coaster. There was still a scared little girl behind the brave face that I would face the public with. And I think we all fake it till we make it to some extent. I really do. Because I see it happen in all the circles that I'm in. But as the skills that I talked about grew, so did my ability to not mourn the loss that I had anymore. And I remember, you know, the first couple of years, I would sit in the car in the driveway and just cry because I, I couldn't do it. But I never did it alone because of people like the AC beers that's on this call and everybody else that I've ran into that really did pave the way. So for me, forever in darkness, but with a whole lot of help along the way, I've come to realize that the warm amber glow of the nightlight or the bright shining sun will never be seen again. But I can feel the warmth from the sun. I can smell the roses as they begin to bloom. I can taste the salt in the air as we drive by the ocean and I can hear the cry of a newborn baby. Those are all things that I missed before because I was entirely too busy looking around. But now I can appreciate everything that we have. I've learned to use all of my senses. I still have vivid memories of what things look like, but now I see more than I ever did before. So even in darkness, I've come to accept that things still go bump in the night and that there may be a monster lurking around the corner, but I'm no longer gonna spend my life worrying what they are because I'm no longer afraid of what they are. But William Shakespeare said, he that is struck and blind cannot forget the precious treasure of his eyesight loss. I'm thankful I had 31 years of being a person who could see, but I'm thankful for the last 23 that I've had as a person who is blind also. I'm proud to be a blind person. And as Eric said today, I have the honor of serving as the CEO about 140 days in as a CEO of the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind. And just a little bit of history on what we do. We were founded in 1902 by a lady named Josephine Rowan, who had a brother who was blind. And she organized a group of women to establish the reading room for the blind in the basement of the San Francisco Public Library with the intent of helping people who are blind and visually impaired access printed materials. And this was California's first private agency for people who are blind. Our mission right now for the San Francisco Lighthouse is to promote the independence, equality, and self-reliance of people who are blind or have low vision. We serve people from birth to earth, womb to tomb, whatever you want to call it. Um, last year, where we just celebrated our one-year anniversary of our little learners program. We're serving the zero to three-year-olds. They're so much fun too. I tell you, we have a great group of ladies and TVIs that serve them. They work with our families and the program's designed to help young children who are blind, deaf blind, have low vision and neurological visual impairment and who, ha who has developmental delays included with their blindness and low vision. One of the cornerstone services at the Lighthouse is our adaptive technology program. 
you know, I often, uh, often people who are sighted, I ask them, imagine what you would do if you couldn't see the screen on your phone tomorrow, what would you do? At the Lighthouse, we also provide consulting services for businesses. We invite companies that are updating their technology or seeking accessibility evaluation to reach out. And being right here in the middle of Silicon Valley, I mean, it's just prime time for this. We have our independent living skills. Each of these services are customized to the needs of the people that we're serving. We have immersion programs from changing vision, changing lives, to orientation and mobility, essential living skills, Braille, case management services, financial literacy. We have a robust employment program in our employment immersion, and we are moving into a vocational training model because after all, that's what VR pays for, right? And we also have our state-of-the-art manufacturing facility in Alameda, which is just across the bay from us. In fact, it's a 25-minute cruise that I'm going to be taking on a daily basis because I just bought a house in Alameda. We have our youth programs, community services, health and wellness. Uh, we serve people who are deafblind, both vision and hearing loss. Um, and of course, we are the only camp west of the Mississippi um, that are serving people who are blind since 1950. Our Enchanted Hills Camp provides opportunities for recreation and fun, provides challenges, and does it all in an accessible way for our folks. That's located on Mount Veter in Napa, California. It's 311 acres. Um, with these great big redwood trees that is just absolutely fascinating. The 2017 Nuns Fire took out a lot of that camp. So we're in the process of updating the legacy camp, but we're also building out a state-of-the-art retreat facility that we can use as a social enterprise business um, that like the sales forces or Twitter or Facebook or whoever here in the Silicon Valley, if they want to do a retreat, they can rent that from us. And we'll have a hospitality program that will provide employment opportunities so people who are blind can learn how to run hospitality and retreat. So great employment opportunities. Our summer programs, we have our youth empowerment series camp. We have a teen session, a family camp, a STEM camp, a music camp, sensing the seasons, little learners, deafblind camp adult camp, adults with de developmental disabilities, changing vision, changing lives, horse camp, and woodworking camp. So we have a lot of camps. And we all know that many of the people that we serve face, you know, stereotypes and misconceptions throughout their life. And a lot of times they face people lowering the bar for them. But because of our donors and the hard work and the business model that we have built, we can provide these life-saving services for people. So as I close, I want to ask each of you as ACB members to be my partner to me as a leader of the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind so that those that we serve do not have to fear the darkness and the isolation that blindness can cause. So they don't have to say, hello, darkness, my old friend. That's it for me, Eric. And I'm happy to take some questions if you have time. I think I kept it within the time. Yeah, absolutely. We've got we've got a little time here. Oh, certainly. This is Dan uh, Spoon, uh, ACB president. Hi, Sharon. Hey, Dan. How are you? Great. I, I I'll, I'll I'm going to take the first question while we're asking people Let's to either put the chat in Q and A or raise their hands. And that is, as you were sharing the beginning of your story, it really resonated with me because I have an opportunity besides uh, the, the gig here with ACP, uh, to be on the board of directors of Lighthouse Central Florida with Kyle Johnson, who's Kyle the Johnson. CEO. Yeah. yeah. And we were talking just the other day 
they just did a survey of their clients and found one of the number one inhibitors for kind of getting through all the rehab programs and, and getting back to employment is the mental health aspect of losing your vision. And you touch so much on that. Do you think that's something our rehab agencies really need to, to give more focus to as people are dealing with the journey of vision loss? You know, I think that it has to be addressed because that's just part of the whole person. And in this agency, as well as my last agency, we had great partnerships. You know, I don't think everybody needs, you know, psychological services. I think they need talking services to mm -hmm. just be able to talk to somebody and work their way through it. But I think that if those aren't addressed early on, that they just can get bigger and bigger. And, you know, there's you know, there could have already been something that they're bringing to the table with the blindness that it didn't trigger until the blindness set in. So, I mean, I think absolutely we have to address the mental health issues because there's a lot of it. You know, it's so easy just to fall into that rut of depression. I mean, you just think about the impact that it has on your life and just to sit there. I mean, so many times the isolation comes from ourselves just because we don't know what else to do. But I think absolutely, I think from the very first meeting that mental health issues have to be addressed and it has to be talked about. You know, it can't be put in the corner and it can't be whispered about. I think that we have to face it head on because it's not anything that's taboo or should be shameful. And we really should take that out of, I think, what people think, you know, because, it, well, you're weak. If yeah, I, I really, you know, it's just you're grieving a loss, you know. Right, you uh, are. You're going through those five stages of grief. You you That's truly right. are. Yeah, yeah. And you move in and out of them too. You, you do, yeah. So, well, fantastic. So um, I guess let's uh, ask our host, do we have anyone uh, with questions for Sharon? We do. We also, though, have some in the chat. That's correct. Wants. Okay, go ahead. Sure. So um, what is the one piece of advice that you would give to a young blind person who is just starting out? get out and do stuff. It doesn't matter where you go, who you get those services from, seek everything that you can and just seek good mentors. I mean, and us seeking mentors that, that are like us always helps. And so to have those mentorship programs, I'm a big believer in it. Um, just get out and be daring, be adventurous, um, share yourself, you know, reach for, it, 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 reach for the moon and you might only bring back a star to start off with, but you, you, you've got to start somewhere. And I think, I think as, I think as almost grown ups in the field, I think that we have to put ourselves out there to, to help those kids and to model for them what is possible. I mean, I, I watched Eric kind of grow up. Um, he was, he had a lot more experience in the blind biz than what I did when I started to watch him when he came for that visit with Sherwood Bullard. I can't even tell you who it was. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Good old Sherwood. And, <laughs> um, you know, I watched him. I watched him how he, I, I watched how he carried himself. I watched how he talked. I read what he wrote. Um, and just to have him as a model for me, like I said, he was the one who inspired me to go into the public policy side of it. Um, just because I was like, wow. I want to be like him when I grow up, but I decided against the growing up, um, <laughs> you know, have fun, just go out there and do everything. There, uh, there's a lot of opportunities that are young, um, that our youth who are blind um, have opportunities to, 
you know, because so much funding has been focused to that with 50% of the supported employment budget, as well as 15% of the state budgets, the states have turned back billions of dollars as a result of not being able to spend it. So I think that as any of us who are leaders within organizations, that we need to come up with good creative programs that will draw those that that transitional age youth into um, our system. And, you know, we got to get out there and we got to advertise what we do. We got to yell it from the rooftop, so to speak, so they know that we're here. I hope that answered that question for whoever asked that. And next we will go to Jean Mann and followed by Phil will follow. Hi, Jean. Hi, Sharon. Um, I don't know if you remember me. I met you a long time ago. I'm from Albany, New York. And I do you, remember you. Yeah. And when you started out at the association in Utica, I was on what was then called the Industries for the Blind of New York State. Board. Right. Right. And we, used to, we used to go around and visit the different agencies. And I was at Utica, I don't even know, many times. And I always said that was absolutely, if I ever had to work in one of those places, that was where I was going. Right. You, you were so lucky. You had the best directors, the best CEO of all the agencies. And I, I just remember the first time I met you, um, they had an open house and you were sitting there and you were greeting everybody. Oh, that sounds and, like something I do. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and, and so I have heard you speak several times, but I just wanted to. I just wanted to say hello and I'm glad oh, you're doing so well. So nice and, to hear you, Jean. And yes, and 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 you really did. You I'm so glad that you if you had to have this happen, that you were you were with the agency that you I were know. The I know, you know, kind of a funny story. I'll tell a little anecdote along the way that funny how things can happen, how they almost can become a self-fulfilling prophecy. So Don Legitacy was the CEO at the time that I was at the agency. And um, he was a fan and he was a fan of, you know, making people who were blind move up and challenge them a little bit. But it was my very first conference that I went to for NIB and it was um, 2004. It was the annual conference. It was in New Orleans, in Nolens. And he I was the direct labor employee of the year for the agency um, that year. And I remember him taking me into a room, he says, I cannot wait. He said to introduce you to this person. He said, she's blind and she's a CEO and she's just a wonderful person. Well, it happened to be Anita Aaron, um, who was the CEO of the San Francisco Lighthouse for the Blind for 20 years. And so it's funny because she's still here in the Bay Area. She yeah. just came for my CEO reception. And, you know, it was one of those things he couldn't wait. He said, because someday you'll be like her. He said, someday you're going to be the CEO of an agency. Well, I happen to be the CEO of her agency. So we have a great connection. I'd seen, I, I hadn't seen her for 14 years after I moved here. So it was a great reunion. But you're right. I had great leaders. Our next participant is Phil Jones. Hey, Phil Jones. Thank you. Good afternoon, Sharon. This, I am just so excited listening to you. As a lifelong blind person, I've been blind since birth. It, it's people, you and people like you, who just inspire me still so much. I mean, you deal with that loss first, and you have to deal with that, but then you make that determination, I'm going to get on with my life. And you have done that. And I'm just so, so excited just listening to you. Keep up the great work. Oh, thanks, Phil. But, you know, I couldn't have done it without people like you who took the beatings, you know, and accessibility and, 
you know, what people thought that, you know, blind people were capable of. You did all of that and you laid a path for people like me and for Eric. And I only say Eric because he's just younger. And I mean, I mean, because of people like you, though, Phil, you're the ones who inspired me that I was like, I've got to go out and sell blind people every day when I step out on the street. My job is just to set an example. So thank you for your kind words, Phil. I really That's appreciate a way that. to do it. <laughs> we do have another question in the chat. And uh, this person asks, do you offer volunteer opportunities as a confidence builder for people who are newly blind or losing their vision? Absolutely. We offer volunteer opportunities for people um, who are blind and with visual impairment. And we find what you're interested in and where your skills, knowledge, and abilities are. I have a great volunteer coordinator. Uh, we have about 250 volunteers on the regular, and we have a lot of them that are visually impaired. So if you're if you're here in the Bay Area, um, come on by and see us and, and talk to us about what you would like to do. And um, I'm sure we can find a place for you. If you're not, you should move here. Just saying. <laughs> Go ahead, Chanel. Do you have some hands over there, Chanel? Oh, I was muted. Yes, Diana. Oh, <laughs> Oh dear. <laughs> Diane okay. Scalzi followed by Melody Holloway and Diane, you may unmute. All right, let's go on to Melody Holloway. Hi, Melody. Hello, Sharon. It's so good to hear you. I am congenitally blind with additional disabilities in my late 30s, and I was wondering about family support, which I do not have, and your personal circle circle, and anyone you have engaged with before you lost your sight and your MS diagnosis. How did they respond to you? Did you get any backlash? Did they speak to anyone themselves about how they were feeling and how are they handling now as far as you've gone? So, you know, that's funny because I said that I lost friends and family because of my blindness, because they just didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to say. It became very awkward. Um, and my husband passed away in 2013. And so I'm just kind of a loner now with the three wonderful fur babies here in San Francisco. But yeah, you know, I think, you know, I just wasn't ready to deal with their issues that they had. And it had to be something that they personally accepted. The ones who did, they became a great fan. And the ones who didn't, they just went off to the wayside. But I think that happens a lot. I talk a lot about that in other speeches that I give that, you know, I lost friends and family as a result of my blindness. But I think that's their problem and their loss at that point. Okay, let's try Diane again. Diane Scalzi. Hi, Diane. You must be having some sort of microphone problem. So let's go to I'm, Patty. Oh, oh, wait a minute. Can you hear me now? Yes, yeah. we can. Okay, thank you. I somehow I'm, I'm I'm sure my microphone button got pushed. Anyway, um, Sharon, the uh, the last time I remember running into you, uh, and of course that was that was figuratively and not literally, <laughs> um, was on um, the I think it's called Blind and Beyond Radio Show. Oh yeah. That Sheila Young is involved in it. At that time, you were talking. You were at Arkansas. And you were talking about how they were going to be celebrating their 75th birthday, I believe. Yeah. 
And um, I, I was really excited about that because I had some very good experiences there. One of That's the awesome. biggest ones being that I met my husband there and we're still married after 45 oh, years. There was but, a lot of those there. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the question I have is, I, you know, because I never heard anything more about that. I, I followed up with an email and hadn't heard anything. I wondered if they did actually celebrate their 75th birthday and if you were around for it. I was. As a matter of fact, it's kind of funny because leading up to the 75th anniversary, which happened on September 23rd um, and September 24th, I put my notice in. So I, have, I, I we, we made it through the gala. But no, you know, World Services for the Blind, they're in Little Rock, Arkansas. I mean, they 75 years of service is actually pretty amazing. When I took it over, it was upside down underwater and on fire. And so I had a lot of fun over eight years riding that ship, getting good teams built out and getting great vocational programming and, and certificate programs in there where we had at least an 85% to 100% placement rate in all of our programs. I uh, love the agency, love it still. Uh, the CEO that's currently there trained under me for four and a half years. In fact, when I hired him, his name was Eric too. I have a thing for Eric's, I think. Um, I called him my hashtag retirement plan. And um, I didn't plan on leaving um, the agency, but they were in a really good place for me to be able to. And I knew that I was going to be leaving it in good hands. And so the day I put the resignation in, they automatically appointed him under my advice. And I still I still say hi to them and still serve as a consultant just to fill in any gaps that they have. So love that agency. And they're going to do great things in the future. So keep on following them. And do we have time for another question? Hey, boss. Yeah, one more. Okay, let's go to Patty Fletcher. Hey, Patty Fletcher. Hi there. I have enjoyed your presentation very much. And um, I just would like to briefly ask, I am a multiply disabled person. I have several disabilities, mental illness, uh, some physical disabilities as well as my blindness. And up until recently, I've had a really difficult time finding groups in which I could belong. What do you have in the way of advice for people who are emerging into life as a multiply disabled person? How can they more easily establish themselves into situations they're just sometimes I just felt like I didn't if I went into a mental illness group I was too blind went yeah. into a blindness group I was too mentally ill um I now think I'm cre creating my own <laughs> rather good than for you that was one of my suggestions is you yes. just, just start your own I use the um the ACB community to kind of create my own hodgepodge community group and, and that's how I came into ACB so I guess I was just, you know, looking for, but it's very difficult to get into physical groups. It is, but I think that that's physical one of the things, support. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that the pandemic really is favorable for. Yes. Is that, you know, you can connect virtually with people. And sometimes, you know, you've just got to find that tribe. But sometimes you also have to build that tribe, Patty. And it sounds like that's what you're trying to do. But just keep on reaching. Don't stop because... They need to hear from you and they need to hear what you have to offer. So I don't want you to give up. Hit me up on Facebook 
Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn, any of the above, and I'll see what I can help get you hooked into some other things too. I'd be happy to. Awesome. Well, Sharon, hey, thank you so much for taking uh, part of your weekend to be with us. Oh, I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you, everybody, for the opportunity to talk to you guys and can't wait to see y'all in person. Right on. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Sharon Jovino. We'll kick it over to Dan. Thank you, Eric. Great job. Thank you, Sharon. That was absolutely fabulous. I know I'm a long way from San Francisco, but I'd love to go out and visit. <laughs> She's fantastic. We are so excited now. It's time next on our agenda for our 2022 Things Remembered highlight video for ACB. I just want to let our uh, Spanish language uh, folks know that this will be a video. And so when we open up screen share and play the video, it will stop the interpreter stream. So we will not be able to hear just this video in Spanish. It will only be in English. And then as soon as the video is completed and we get the go ahead from Gabriel, we'll be back on our Spanish language track. So with that said, here is the 2022 Remember ACB highlight video. Against the light colored background, the letters ACB. Below each letter is its corresponding braille cell. Together for a bright future. 2022 year in review. In a moment, below an ACB banner, Dan Spoon at a podium during an ACB convention. We are now playing the ACB walk song and let's hear it from the ACB Brenda Dillon Memorial Walk Teams. They're coming in the ballroom right now. Everybody stand and give them a big round of applause. Woo! Eric Bridges. This is cool. We're in the same room together. I'm not behind a laptop speaking into the ether. Hoping that people are laughing or interested or not falling asleep while I'm speaking. This is cool. Well, it's great to be with you all. So a lot has changed. Uh, but a lot hasn't. And the, the dedication of the staff of the American Council of the Blind, the, the folks that are tasked with uh, implementing and, and working on the issues that the members and, and leadership of this organization uh, prioritize uh, our dedication, our passion has remained through this entire period. So Judy, tell us a little bit about what got you started in the disability rights movement back in the 1970s. What was really the impetus for you to take this on as a career? Judy Human. Had polio, you know, just like you're blind and low vision. Um, I don't think, you know, one is born as an advocate per se, but I think, you know, ACB and many other disability rights organizations really have been formed because of the discrimination that we have experienced and um, our desire to work on ending discrimination. And also, I think what's very important about organizations like the American Council of the Blind and others, is the fact that we are role models for people who have disabilities. 
some of them are similar to ours and in many cases not. Ewan McGregor. Audio description is near and dear to me for one very special reason. My mum, Carol McGregor. She's an audio describer. Audio description allows people who are blind or visually impaired to enjoy the visual imagery of the same movies that most of us take for granted via a secondary audio track that describes the action on the screen. People who are blind or visually impaired can participate in films and television broadcasts in a very fulfilling way. My mum's been working with audio description for decades, not only in cinema, but also for live theatre. She's empowered the inner visions of countless blind and partially sighted audiences. In particular, we believe that it's important that young visually impaired people be able to go to the cinema with their friends, join in the conversation and know all about the films of the day. She and I both are so supportive of the American Council of the Blind's Audio Description Project and all it does to further the field of audio description in the States and worldwide. Stevie Wonder. Good evening, everyone. Our last award tonight speaks to my own heart. Seven years ago, during the 2015th Grammy Awards, I made a very special call to action that we should all work to make sure that everything that's accessible for all people with disabilities. Since the Grammys first broadcast in 1959, performers have taken the stage year after year, painting a musical tapestry drawn by notes that would capture the rhythmic pulse of generation after generation. Their performances have been amazing spectacles of artistic beauty mixed with bold statements, but until this past year, their sights and sounds fell flat to audience members who have no sight of their own. Tonight's final Barry Award recipient moved music's greatest spectacle forward this year when it filled in that space between the notes with audio description. CBS Paramount has long shown a commitment to inclusive media through captioning and audio description, but they took the extra step this past year with the Grammy Awards. And that step means so much for those of us who know firsthand there's so much more taking place on stage than just the music. Melody Goodspeed. The quality of audio description is so incredibly important, and I've seen that elevated, which is really, really exciting for me. It just brings such joy to my heart to be able to feel included, like just to be able to 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 be able to have those conversations with my friends and family, and and not feel so alone. Hello, I'm Carla Hudson, and I'm here to share with you my story about audio description. In the early 1970s, as a blind child, I experienced Sesame Street by listening to the dialogue. But imagine my surprise in the early 2000s when I discovered that Sesame Street had audio description. This was very special to me as a blind mother with sighted children. We were able to experience the costumes, the action, and all that the characters could offer fully. I still appreciate the help that audio description has given my family over the years and the bond that I was able to experience with this special show with my small children. Clark Rockful. Many of our members in the, the blindness community as a whole have been getting very excited uh, this summer because as uh, a new addition to our you know, solar system and universe exploration, has been unveiled, the James Webb Space Telescope. These images are coming to us with some amazing descriptions and alt text 
that really brings the images to life, not only for people who are blind, uh, but the, the rest of the population as well. Even sighted people can now understand what exactly am I looking at here? Claire Blom. Basically, when I think about writing alt text, what I like to do is set the broad scene. It's like I'm painting a picture all across, you know, left to right, top to bottom. Um, what literally does this scene contain? So I want to I want to paint broad strokes, right? I'm orienting people. And then once I've oriented someone with a brief sentence, two sentences, then I can start to go into what are the areas of interest? Why are we releasing this image? What is the scientific discovery? So then I might draw attention um, to, let's say, the star that's cast off its layers of gas and dust. But, pointing out that the star is this tiny white you know blob at the center um and then all the layers that you know in one case it looks like a butterfly and knowing that we can say it looks like a butterfly not necessarily because people have seen it but they might have touched it or experienced the shape so then they can start to build a mental model of what this scene looks like so i'm tom pay i'm the founder uh, and ceo of uh, waymap they, uh, what we, is the world's most accurate indoor and outdoor navigation system. Thank you to the uh, to you guys, the uh, ACB, because uh, you've been in from the beginning of the idea of Waymap. Um, you've um, uh, you've helped with the development of the standards, um, and indeed you've provided volunteers to uh, to test it out at the early stages in in DC. Oh. Chantelle Zuzi. I would say um, my personal experience led to my deep desire to become involved with human rights. At my birth, I was denied basic human rights and justice. I was born an albino in a community where albinos are viewed as outcasts. And the only reason I survived was because my parents believed I had a right to live. So I would love to bring justice back to those who are going through different situations and around the world. Tony Stevens. And I'm so excited today to have young Hayden Zoller, an actor from Savannah, Georgia, who was in the most recent film, American Underdog. And we at ACB are excited for Hayden, who played the character of Zach in that movie, not because the character was blind, but also too, Hayden himself is a young man who's blind as well. Talk to us a little bit about yourself uh, in Savannah, Georgia, and I think a lot of our audience would love to know about your vision impairment. Well, I'm 11 years old and I'm um, in fourth grade and I'm I'm fully blind. Mm -hmm. So I just use Braille and all the things that Tony uses. And mm -hmm. I, I love social studies and science and math. A logo, ACB, in print and Braille, American Council of the Blind, together for a bright future. Wow, what a fantastic highlight video. Special thanks to Kelly Gask, uh, our manager of communications, uh, Caitlin Herrera, our administrative assistant, and Dennis Becker, our contractor for video production, for pulling all that together. Thank you all so much. It was really a wonderful highlight video. And before I get started on the next presentation, I want to verify with uh, 
uh, with Gabriel that our translators are back on the air. Anyone can give me a verification. Gabriel, you are muted. Yes, I'm here. Gabriel, are our Spanish translators back on the air before we continue on with the next presentation? Yes, Lucy, Lucy is back with us. All right. Well, very good. Thank you so much. And thank this, you. thank you, Gabe. Gracias. I'm trying to get better here. Woo. <laughs> All right. Now uh, we have an opportunity uh, to hear from our DKM committee to talk about the DKM first timers and JP Morgan Chase Fellow Awards for 2023. So let me introduce. Uh, Kenneth Simeon, DKM Fund Committee Chair from Beaumont, Texas. Zelda Gephardt, DKM Committee Vice Chair from Edgeley, North Dakota. And Amanda Selm, DKM Committee Member from Louisville, Kentucky. Larry, do you have that audio ready? Sorry, I thought it was a live in person. It's the video, correct? Yeah, it's the yes, audio please. first. All right. Cue me. Hello, ACB family. I am Kenneth Simeon Sr., chair of the Dover K. McDaniel Fund Committee. Today, joining me is Zelda Gephardt, our newly appointed vice chair, and Amanda Selm, chair of our education and awareness subcommittee. We offer two leadership development awards. And we like to stress that these awards are so important that we want everyone to know that there are not just for someone to attend a convention and enjoy free time. We will have special sessions during the convention designated for our award recipients. Hopefully you've identified our awards in the Braille form or either on the ACB website at acb.org. We have more to share with you over to Zelda. All right. It's been my privilege to serve on the DKM Fund Committee since 2014. Um, besides Kenneth and myself and, and Amanda, um, the current committee includes Anthony Akamini from Honolulu, Hawaii, Donna Browning from Alexandria, Virginia, Natalie Couch from Louisville, Kentucky, Betsy Grenovich from Loganville, Georgia, uh, and Amanda Selm from Louisville, Kentucky, Melanie Altsanoe from Phoenix, Arizona, Frank Ventura from Boston, Massachusetts, Sheila Young from Orlando, Florida, and our staff liaison is Kelly Gask, and our officer liaison on the committee is David Trott. And I'd also like to give an award overview of the 
DKM First Timers Award. And uh, we, we have been honoring the legacy of ACB's founding father, Derwood K. McDaniel, since 1996 by identifying and honoring two ACB members who have demonstrated leadership potential with the First Timers Award. Each year, we select one from east and one from west of the Mississippi River. To be considered for the award, interested members must be 18 or older, blind or visually impaired, a member in good standing, that just means you've had paid your dues for 2023, never attended an in-person ACB con conference and convention. They must agree to attend the entire convention, participate in daily general sessions and designated leadership related sessions. And applicants must also undergo an, a 30 minute interview with the members of the DKM committee. And really, that's a, that's a fun time. It's not that difficult to do. To apply for this award, applications must be submitted online. We have an online application. And also, they must have their state or special interest affiliate president submit a letter of recommendation. And both of those things must be done before the deadline of April 3rd. The letter of recommendation from your special interest or state affiliate is to be sent to Kelly Gask at kgasque at acb.org. Recipients are selected in late April and then they are recognized during the opening general session of the 2023 ACB Conference and Convention. Um, recipients receive amenities such as complimentary registration fee, travel expenses, lodging for double, double occupancy, uh, tickets to attend, the DKM First Timers Reception, the ACB Banquet, and other special events, and a stipend for incidentals. So I'm going to turn it over to Amanda and she's going to describe the JP Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow Award. All right, thank you Zelda. Hi everyone, my name is Amanda Thelm. Uh, as Zelda said, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. This is my third year on the DKM Fund Committee, and I absolutely love it. I love getting to know all of our applicants through the interview process, um, and I just love to hear about them from their affiliate presidents. So, um, as Zelda said, I'm going to go over the, the overview of the J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows and it's very similar to the DKM First Timers um, Award. There's a few differences. Um, the first one is, is that we select five of these uh, every year. Doesn't matter if they're east or west of the Mississippi, uh, there's just five. They can be um, from across the, the United States. Um, the second difference is, is that there's a special reception uh, that these leadership fellows will attend with um, the sponsor, J.P. Morgan Chase. 
And just to give you a little bit of history on how this works is, is that um, the first class of JP Morgan Chase dates all the way back to 2016. And that doesn't seem like very long ago. But JP Morgan Chase um, had reached out to ACB wanting to know if we had any, you know, aspirations towards leadership. And that is how this program has gotten started. So we're very thankful for JP Morgan Chase to continue to sponsor this program year after year. Um, I myself have uh, been in a, a leadership fellow. I was a leadership fellow in 2019 and I have greatly benefited from the experience. So to get back into uh, what the leadership fellows do at the convention, they too will attend leadership uh, type sessions and they too will have you know the opportunity to meet and network with fellow ACB leaders and that's an exciting time for JP Morgan Chase leadership fellows. The other thing that I, I want to stress is that there are a few differences in the application and the interview process so we do ask um, a couple of different questions in those two processes. The other thing that distinguishes the leadership fellows from the GKM first timers is, is that GKM, um, we're looking at your involvement in your uh, state or special interest affiliate and your potential as a leader. With a leadership fellow, what we are looking for is we're looking that you are beginning to demonstrate those qualities. You're already in a leadership position, such as serving on a chapter board of your local state affiliate or your special interest affiliate, the, uh, going all the way up to your state or special interest affiliate board, and that you have higher um, leadership aspirations. So if that sounds like you, I would encourage you to apply. So for those of you that are sitting there and you're considering whether or not you want to apply, think about this. Are you an emerging leader? Do you want to do more? Do you want to take your leadership to the next level? I would encourage you to apply. If you are a state or special interest affiliate, and this goes for both of the awards, um, if you are a state or special interest affiliate president and you think that you have a candidate that fits any of the qualities of either one of these um, awards, I would highly encourage your members to, members to consider uh, applying. And I also want to add for special interest affiliate presidents, having been in the position as a JP Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow and as an affiliate president who has written uh, letters for several applicants, I want you to make sure that your heart is in it to write that letter for them that you feel as strong as they do about their leadership potential. Thank you. This is Kenneth again, and I'd like to present a few historical markers. Our DCAM First Timers Award began in 1996, and to date, we have 27 classes, and we have awarded a total of 60 recipients. Our J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellows Award began in 2016, and to date, we have seven classes totaling 38 recipients. Something that is unique because someone asked a question recently,
can I apply for both awards? Yes, you can. We have two people who have actually been selected as DCAM, a DCAM first timer and a JP Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow. We have Becky Dunkerson from, De from Des Moines, Iowa. She was a DCAM first timer in 2018 and a JP Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow in 2021. Next, we have Greg Lindbergh from West Chapel, Florida. He became a DCAM first timer in 2016 and a JP Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow in 2021. Our youngest award recipient for our DCAM First Timers Award is Melanie Alsanoe. She lived in Texas then in 2005, and now she resides in Phoenix, Arizona. I'll turn it over to Amanda and Zelda again. This is Zelda, and I'd like to share um, with all of you um, that, that I believe the key to the future is staying connected to our past. And a positive future is totally dependent on remembering what worked for the leaders of the past, like Mr. McDaniel, and learning from and connecting with the current leaders and having um, the, the courage to step up forward and to, to share your willingness to serve as leaders of ACB. We know there's a lot of leaders out there and we just encourage you all to, to step out of your comfort zone and to, to grow. And the first step might be to apply for one of these awards. I'll echo what Zelda said and that I read the book People of Vision um, by Derwick K. McDaniel and it is a key factor in learning about ACB and our origin story, um, about where we came from. And, you know, I, I think both of these programs are an excellent stepping stone to really put yourself out there. Um, we've seen many leaders that have just emerged from being both a J.P. Morgan Chase Leadership Fellow and a Derwood K. McDaniel First Timers. And we, you know, just really enjoy watching them sprouting and growing and um, spreading their wings in ACB. We want to continue to honor Derwood K. McDaniel's legacy. And we want to continue to make J.P. Morgan Chase proud so that they can continue to offer us the amazing opportunity to um, bring up awesome leaders like yourself. So we just encourage you to apply and we'll be happy to answer any questions. This is Kenneth. I would like to share a few updates. As chair of our DCAM uh, fund committee, I have developed and updated our affiliate president's reference guide. And it has some very useful details uh, that even refers to what Amanda stated earlier about whether you should write that letter of recommendation. You want to be sure to focus on those details and contact me at any time with questions. Other updates include our online application. Uh, we began receiving applications in January and we will continue receiving those until April 3rd. That online application is very simple and I want to uh, remind everyone that once you do that, there's no need for you to submit a letter of application. That was one of our questions uh, 
presented recently. In order to get our committee work done more efficiently, this year we have implemented several subcommittees, and I believe that's going to help us uh, this year to do better than we have in the past. And we want everybody to be very informed, and we know that uh, once you apply, uh, we will begin communicating with you about some things that will go forward as um, pertaining to the awards process. Our committees include the Education and Awareness Subcommittee, our Convention Planning Committee, and our interviews, Interview Process Enhancement Committee. Those committees have given their first report to our committee, and we are on the, our way to success for this year. Included in the word success, I'd like to let you know that we always have a Planning for Success informational meeting, and that will be held the second Monday in May of this year which always takes place prior to pre-registration for the convention. We hope that everyone would really strongly consider reading the articles carefully, reviewing them, and applying for our awards. I would just like to remind everyone that they can support all of the winners by coming to our DKM reception. All right. Uh, I'd like to remind everyone to visit acb.org and locate our awards there for our DCAM first-timers applicants and our J.P. Mark Chase Leadership Fellow applicants. Be sure to send your letter of recommendation to Kelly Gask at kgasque at acb.org. And also remember that the deadline is the 3rd of April. Let's apply early so we don't have to omit any applicant. Other than that, we'd like to thank you for allowing us to present to you today. And I invite you to contact me at any time as chair of the committee with any questions or concerns. You can send email to simeon.k at outlook.com. That's my new email address, S-E-M-I-E-N dot K, and that's the letter K, at outlook.com. Or give me a call by dialing 409-866-5838. Looking forward to seeing you at convention. Don't delay. Apply today. Thank you, Kenneth, Zelda, and Amanda. I think we won't have time for any additional questions, but we really appreciate the very thorough presentation. And it's always exciting to see us uh, have a chance to promote our DKM first-timers and our J.P. Morgan Chase Fellows. Next, we want to hear from our Board of Publications and get an update from our key BOP directors. So I'd like to introduce Katie Frederick, Board of Publications Chair from Columbus, Ohio, as well as Penny Reader, BOP Director, from Montgomery Village, Maryland. And last but not least, from my own home state, Cache Wells, BOP Director from Jacksonville, Florida. Hello, ladies. Good afternoon, Dan. Thank you for that introduction. It is great to be here on this Saturday for the DC Leadership Conference. My name is Katie Frederick, and I am the chair of the ACB Board of Publications. And earlier today, we heard a presentation about delegation, which was an excellent presentation. And I have delegated some of our topics to my colleagues here on the panel. So 
Um, we have a few things we want to talk to you about today. Again, the, the Board of Publications offers awards, which we will hear about in a minute. We also feature some ways for you to share some items with us, some ways that you can get involved writing or creating multimedia content for the Board of Publications and for ACB members and friends. So with that, I will hand it over to my colleague, Penny Reader, to share with us some information about the annual Board of Publications Awards. Hi, Penny. And we're not hearing you. Hey, Penny, can you hear there me you now? go. There you are. <laughs> Welcome. I, I forgot the mute button. Um, <laughs> hey, I want to talk to you all about our awards. And I know those of you who come to this conference every year are saying, oh, here are the awards again. But these are important awards. You know, the Board of Publications is here. The reason we're here is to make sure all of our communications are as good as they can be and that they really entertain us and inform us. And um, that's what the whole role of the Board of Publications is. So when people do that well, we want to give them an award. And I'm going to talk about three awards. The first one is called the Ned E. Freeman Award. Mr. Freeman was the first. Mr. Uh, Freeman was the first president of ACB. Um, he was very important, and so we named an award after him. And it's a writing award. So to call it the Ned E. Freeman Award is for articles that have been published in the Braille Forum or in any affiliate publication between April of last year and March of this year. So any of the articles that are uh, outstanding examples of great writing and great communications would, um, would be eligible for this award. Um, we, uh, on the Board of Publications, Sharon gets together all those articles for us. Um, and any article that's not about, you know, not a routine article, so like here and there and uh, poor Dan, the president's message never qualifies. Um, the, the convention report doesn't qualify. But any article that does communicate about the organization and about blindness issues, that's the kind of article that would qualify. So if there's something that you love that you read in the Braille Forum last year, or you read in your own affiliate publication last year, that's the kind of thing that would qualify. So what you do is um, you send us, uh, um, so what we do, I'm sorry, is Sharon gets all those letters together, those articles together, as well as the ones that you submit to her. It's easy to write to Sharon S. Lovering at acb.org and uh, include a copy of the article. And uh, then we all get to, we evaluate those articles and score them. And the one that gets the most votes is the one that gets the award. Um, a second award is the Vernon Henley Award. And that's a media award. And so that award is for any kind of media that lets people know about all the capabilities of people who are blind. Uh, Mr. Henley, Mr. Henley was, I think he was kind of like Rick Warren now. Um, he kept everything moving and going and working. Rick and Larry, they were, and probably Deb, they were probably the first, the, they're probably the new Vernon Henleys of today. And he was very concerned about quality of media and also to make sure that 
when people see things about people who are blind in the movies, in the newspapers, in a magazine, um, in a blog, that those uh, articles and those contributions really explain who we are and let people know that we have all kinds of capabilities and we're worth knowing. So if you have somebody to, uh, um, if you have something to recommend for Mr. Henley's award, uh, all you have to do is send an, a nomination letter again to Sharon, slovering at acb.org, and we will consider that, uh, that segment or that publication. Um, I remember a long time ago, McDonald's had a commercial that featured a, a little girl who was blind, who was reading a Braille menu. And that was the award that year, the Vernon Henley Award, because it showed people that blind children are just like everybody else. And they want a happy meal when they go to McDonald's and they can even read the menu. So it's that kind of thing we want to uh, award. And we've expanded the categories that this media, you know, that media belongs to. So it doesn't have to be a TV ad or a radio PSA. It can be a magazine article. It could be a blog. It could be a podcast. So I'm sure you can think of all kinds of things that might qualify. And the final award is the Hollis Liggett Award. Hollis Liggett was the man who created and published the Braille Free Press, which was the first um, like magazine that um, the very early founders of ACB used to communicate with one another. At that time, it was only in Braille and it was hand copied or, or copied on a Perkins and people shared it from hand to hand. It was amazing. Um, and so we wanted to honor, ACB wanted to honor Mr. Liggett. So they created this award. And this award is for any affiliate publication. So one of the state or special interest affiliate publications that is just wonderful, has to be published at least twice a year. And uh, the affiliate president or the editor of that publication needs to nominate that publication and send us two copies of uh, separate issues that appeared last year. And sometimes we don't get nominations for that award, but we happen to know that there's some really excellent affiliate publications. So if you love your newsletter, you love what your affiliate does, maybe your affiliate has a podcast, um, make sure you nominate that so that the person who, the people who put it together are honored and appreciated. And I think I have to give time to Cachet. So um, remember, if you have any questions, you can call Sharon at the ACB National Office. You can write to any member of the Board of Publications. My email couldn't be easier, penny.reader at gmail.com. We all have easy emails and our contact information is also on the acb.org website. So um, the last thing I need to tell you is I believe nominations are due by the last day of March. So you need to get busy and uh, start thinking about the people you want to honor. And thank you so much. I enjoyed being here with you. Thank you, Penny. And before we transition to Cache, just want to add that, yes, nomination, the nominations are due um, April 1st. And you can find all of the information in the February e-forum version of, 
of the um, ACB magazine, the February eForum, has all of the criteria, spells it out for each award, provides instructions for nominations, what we want in the cover letter accompanying nominations. So do feel free to do read that. And if, again, if you have questions, reach out to either Sharon Levering in the national office, or as Penny said, any member of the Board of Publications. And next to talk about another program that we run throughout the year, Cache, to talk about the ACB Voices blog. Welcome, Cache. You might be trying to unmute. Can you hear me? Yes, welcome. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. We got unmuted again. What is a blog, you asked? I can ask, answer that age-old question. This is the uh, unspoken, quiet question some may ask. Well, to ensure you today, a blog is simply uh, an extension of a website. It could be a standalone. It also can be a page on a website. So imagine a planner or a journal with many index dividers. And a blog is simply an extension of that product or primary product. And for us, that's the organization of the ACB. And so what we've done is the, we've created a way that is fun, informative, and flexible that all can get involved in, that, it, that promotes self-expression, social connection, and community empowerment, whether that's individually or collectively for this organization, ACB. Those pages, formerly known as a weblog page, is what we now know as blogs on today. And there are several types of blogs, whether it's personal, business, whether it's a niche, professional, or even branding. Those are different types of blogs, and there are many more. Blogs utilize education, information, instruction, and again, connection to our communities to inspire, motivate, bring awareness and advertisement. Along with advocating for the topics that we as blind and visually impaired persons love, which could be fashion, food, DIY, lifestyle, travel, news, and more. It is a way to provide another avenue so that we can access um, and reach more people. And so that's what ACB Voices is. It is a greater way for us to level up with more people, give us more reasons to write and allow our voices to be heard. Whether it's telling your story, whether it's sharing your experience or connecting uh, communities, your communities with ACB, we want to hear you. We want to hear your voice. And so ACB Voices is out there. It is available for you to share your expression through articles that are written in in a conversation style. And that's something that we all like. We always like a good conversation. And so we invite you to uh, put on your thinking caps. And if you feel like that's not something you can do, anyone on the Board of Publications is willing to help you. The great thing with a blog is that it is it allows you to be able to not only share your story, but you can accompany it with pictures. You can also accompany it with videos. And so again, the blog guidelines are that you just simply have a willingness to share your story, minimum of 300 words to maybe 500, 
two pictures at best and a 15 minute video. Some of the, there's no specific, what I will say is there are no specific themes, which is a little different from the Braille form. So you have some flexibility of what is on your heart and what you want to share with the rest of your fellow members and your community at large. There's no specific deadlines because we are looking for you to continuously submit your articles to us. Creating articles, again, if you need help writing that story, reach out to anyone on the BOP. We are definitely here to help you because we are waiting to publish your article. Some of the facets that I love about the ACB Voices blog is that it highlights member experiences, member testimonials, and even member features, which we all have seen lately with our new member on the mic. So again, if you want to share your story or you're just interested in how to get started with that, you can definitely reach out to anyone on the BOP. Article submissions can be sent to voices at acb.org, or you can submit them to the editor, Sharon Lovering at slovering at acb.org. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Kashe. That was great. And again, we do welcome those submissions. We have started a project member um, on the mic, which we are going to be continuing, highlighting ACB members and friends in, in you know, hearing their story in people's own voice. And so Thanks to um, Anthony Corona and some of and team, and it, it takes a, a village to put some of the multimedia content together for the blog. But it really is a unique way to offer that content. And we, again, as Cache said, you can send submissions to voices at acb.org. Um, we do. Um, I think we have some coming up around the. Um, recently received one about the community um, to be sharing that we'll be sharing in light of the community celebrating its three years coming up. So that will be um, exciting. And you can subscribe to the blog. So if you say, oh, I don't want to go online and read or, you know, that that's, I don't want to do that. You can um, receive the blog via email. And if you have questions about that, you can always reach out to the BOP as well with that. Um, to close us out here, I just want to say that the ACB Board of Publications meets monthly and our meetings are held the first Tuesday of the month. And yes, we will have a shorter meeting this coming Tuesday, uh, March uh, 7th. And um, we meet the first Tuesday of the month at 8 p.m. Eastern. The announcement and agenda is sent out typically the day before the meeting on the ACB email lists, conversation leadership. So do look at those lists for um, information about the meetings. Anyone can attend the meetings. They are open meetings as is the custom with ACB meetings. Um, we also want to let you know that we have some upcoming um, themes for the Braille Forum. The, um, May issue, we are going to be reaching out. Uh, we've heard back from the um, ACB teachers, so looking forward to some contributions from that special interest affiliate, as well as in June, we will talk all about our upcoming convention in Schomburg in July and some of its virtual components as well. And then in the July issue, we will have um, kind of what we call a, a a potpourri issue where we have, you know, some maybe some articles that haven't been able to get in issues in the past or just some extra articles that people have sent in and we will put those together in July. And we are working on themes for the remainder of the year. 
And again, with the themes, um, we do recognize and have heard from, from you that, um, you know, themes are great, but we also want to be mindful and include some of our other, some articles as well. So we have um, put together some some guidelines for that for the forum, and we can send those out to you if you're interested in writing uh, for the forum, um, particularly around a themed issue so that we do leave space for some of our other content. So um, we will be sharing those as well. So with that, again, thank you for your time today. Again, our award nominations are due April 1st, and we invite and encourage you to submit award nominations. Um, read the February issue of the eForum where we have um, changed some of our content, tried to make our awards more open and accessible for new medium because we understand that not all affiliates are using maybe not using a traditional newsletter, maybe you're communicating with your affiliate in other ways, and we want to hear about that. So do send those nominations along and feel free to reach out to us and write and share your voice on our ACB Voices blog. And with that, thank you to my colleagues Penny and Cache and President Dan Spoon, I turn it back to you. Thank you, Katie. And also thank you to Penny and Cache, as well as Cheryl and Zelda. We have an amazing Board of Publications Board of Directors. Uh, it's, uh, it's a joy to join their meetings uh, the first Tuesday of every month at eight o'clock. Even though I'm a non-voting member, I love to uh, come and participate and anyone's uh, welcome to come and participate. Uh, it's open to all, all of our general membership and it's broadcast on ACB Media. So uh, please get involved in the BOP. Thank you, Katie. And next, uh, for our final panel of the day, we are going to hear what's new with our ACB community from both Cindy Hollis and Lucy Edmonds. So Cindy and Lucy, yeah, how are yeah. you guys doing? You're back to close <laughs> us out today. Welcome. Yeah. You guys aren't tired of us yet. <laughs> so, all right. I am going to toss it to Lucy here in a minute, but I want to talk about, to start with, not so much what's new, and I, we will get to that, but I want to talk about what's been right from the start, on. what's old. <laughs> I mean, we're almost three years old, you know, so um, we are learning all the time that there are people that don't know about the ACB community, and when they do find us, they are sad that it took so long for them to learn about us. So I want to uh, encourage leaders who are listening to find ways to share the ACB community with your membership. Do them a favor. If you have members, one of the things that we learned is this community was born out of the, uh, a pandemic. However, it's not here today because of a pandemic. It's here because there's a need. We have people who are isolated without a pandemic. We have people that need connection. And the ACB community is what connects us, whether we live in the same town or across the country or across the world. And over the last almost three years, we've held over 12,000 events. So if you have members that have not even checked us out, don't know about us, they've missed out 
on all kinds of stuff from peer support to technology, from exercise classes to crafting, from social events to cooking, <laughs> from uh, karaoke to learning languages, and oh my gosh, so much more. And so uh, we just don't want anybody to be missing out. Now, we know it may not be for everybody, but we have sure found ways to make it available for everyone. And um, so some of those have included, of course, Zoom, where people can use a dial-in phone, their smartphone, computer, whether it be a Mac or a Windows uh, PC. They can listen on ACB Media for much of our content by listening to ACB Media 5. And of course, now we are also in Clubhouse, which is an audio-based platform. And the cool thing about Clubhouse is it allows us to reach new people. So people that aren't currently receiving our email each day, uh, and we already know those folks and we're glad but there are a lot of people out there who are blind or have low vision that we don't know and clubhouse has allowed us to open the door and welcome them in so that's been really cool uh, we have a lot of volunteers well over a hundred volunteers each week keep community going and i would I would say that our volunteers, well, first of all, they're the backbone. They are why community continues and they are who help host events, moderate them in Clubhouse, uh, connect Zoom and Clubhouse together, stream the events, and of course, facilitate the events. So, uh, Lucy, why don't you talk a little, because you do pretty much all of it. Um, you, yeah. you, um, so why don't you tell them some of the calls that you actually facilitate and why you brought them just really briefly. And then I'd love you to put your hat on, um, uh, as com community, uh, support, support. committee chair sure. and talk about the volunteer of the month. All right. Okay. So I facilitate, uh, two calls by myself and co-facilitate one other. I teach an abacus class. It was, it's just really astonishing to me that I've been doing this class for over two years now. And I didn't think there would be any interest in it at all. But the first class I had like 25 people. And this is the fourth time I've taught it. And it's just really fun. I think the abacus is really cool. I'm holding my abacus in the <laughs> air right now. I have one sitting right next to me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it, it is it's fun but yet it's serious and i i make them work um the second one i do is totally fun mm -hmm. and i've been doing this one for two and a half years it's called games to play with lady a and it's all about games that you can play on your amazon alexa devices and i have people that come every time 
they rescheduled doctor's appointments because they don't want to miss my call. And we have a blast. Um, and the other one that I co-facilitate with Danette Dixon is called Open Mic Night. And it's an informal way that you can share talent with us or just listen to it. And we chit chat between performances and it's just, it's a blast also. All right, so yeah, that's, and I, and I also participate in a lot of calls. I'm a volunteer, I'm a host, um, I do a lot of stuff. Okay, so with that being said, that segues into my community support chairperson activities. I am honored to have been asked to do that because I am a dedicated member of the ACB community in many different ways, like I just said. And so it's very important to me um, that this community has the support that it needs. So this community is fairly new. It's only been going on for about a year and two months. President Spoon wanted to have a committee of as such, because the community was growing so magnanimously. Oh my gosh, it has. I like so, that word. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I have a lot of great people on my committee. I have, well, Cindy is our staff liaison. We had Colby Garrison until she took a new position with ACB. Um, we have two board members, Ray Campbell as second vice president and Donna Brown as a board member. And we have, let's see, Judy Wallgang and uh, Desi Noel, uh, Courtney Smith, excuse me, Judy Walgang and, and uh, Courtney Smith as facilitators of events. Desi Noller and myself are both facilitators as well as hosts. We have two community participants, Mark Harris and Ray Marcus, and we just kind of help with problems that might arise or whatever Cindy needs us to help with. So in January, we kicked off our Volunteer of the Month recognition program, which I think is, is I'm really excited about this because um, we've had so much participation in the community. We ask for attendees of our, our uh, events to nominate people that they feel just have gone above and beyond their duties um, as hosts, facilitators, room openers, clubhouse moderators, streamers, anything like that. And um, in January, for the January uh, volunteer of the month, Belinda Collins was nominated. We had 11 people submit nominations. And for the February one, our deadline is March 10th. And we've already had 19 people submit uh, nominations. So I think it's going over very well. The winner will receive a $25 gift card of their choice. And it's just really, I, I'm excited. I really am. Oh All my right. gosh. I'm so excited. Yeah, so get those. And so th they can email acbcommunity.committee at gmail.com. Yes. And so just email your nomination and it will get counted. Yes, it um, will. 
I wanted to just mention a, a couple of other things. Uh, you know, community is organic. It started out that way and it's grown that way. And individuals bring content, but so do affiliates, committees, chapters, local chapters. And we have uh, outside partners that also do as well. And none of this would happen without all of the above. Uh, but there's still plenty of room for more content. So, you know, we have Georgia and West Virginia, uh, both have uh, a monthly call, Georgia Council and um, a Mountain State Council. Oh, I also, um, we have uh, a, a chapter from the California Council of the Blind and from Oregon, ACB of Oregon, that also hold events. Um, and then several of our special interest affiliates have been holding events since the beginning, and I know that they have seen some growth. So what I want to remind you, if you are in a state affiliate, you're wondering, what good is it to put an event on the ACB community calendar? Well, we reach out to a lot of people, and a lot of people also share. We, we reach like rehab teachers and O&M instructors and uh, VR counselors, and they share with their students or clients. Um, and there might be people that live in your area that you would never reach if not going through community. So, uh, and you may even get members from outside of your state to join your your state affiliate. Uh, we've known that to happen. If you have somebody in your chapter or affiliate that have a talent, a skill, an interest, and they would like to bring it to the community, we would love for that to happen. We have a form that's online and you can email us at community at acb.org to either join our email list and receive our daily schedule. It's not a, it's not a, a two way communication. It's just, we just send out an email each evening for the next day. Um, so you can either email us to get put on the email list or if you would like to have the link to submit an event, we'd love for that to happen as well. Our training for hosts happens from our hosts themselves. So we have a lot of peer training that has been taking place and that really is something new and amazing. And that's how we continue to grow. So our own hosts are teaching how to moderate in Clubhouse, how to connect Zoom and Clubhouse, how to use webinar, and on and on. Um, and let's see. I feel like there was something else I was going to want to tackle. But boy, oh, boy. I, I want to talk a little bit about our morning show because, <laughs> like, Oh my gosh, it is so much fun. So, and we hear this every morning. So every morning we have anywhere from 60 to 80 people join us in a call that we call ACB Presents, the daily schedule. ACB Presents for short. It's at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific. We have a nine-person morning crew. So we... Let me just say, Good Morning America has nothing on us. <laughs> <laughs> um, we have a schedule of five people from the crew 
uh, have roles each day. And uh, so we always have two people in Clubhouse, two people in, or three people in Zoom. And then we also have somebody connecting us and somebody streaming on ACB Media. So that's new. We only started that a little over a month ago. But every morning you can hear us on ACB Media 5. And uh, it is not replayed because it's, you know, time specific, right? So, but we have a question of the day. Uh, we go over the schedule. Uh, somebody reads it. And then uh, we open it up to everybody who wants to, to share and answer the question of the day. And then we do a quick run through of the schedule. So that's it. It's an hour event. And uh, we laugh a lot, a lot, a lot. <laughs> so, um yeah. Anything that you want to add about that? Well, I, I just, <laughs> I just want to say too that the community is really a way for us to connect with people in our past. It happened to me this morning on oh, the morning it was epic. show. I mean, I have known this lady in the community for quite some time now, and I just found out that I knew her when I was in the summer of my sixth grade year. <laughs> and I didn't realize it. And it was just astonishing to me that, that I, you know, have known her. And, and, and I know a lot of other people that have connected with yes. people from their past. And it is so cool. Um, it is, it, oh, I love but it. But we're also making new connections too. And I Absolutely. think I was really tickled. I, last night I spoke with California and somebody said, I think it was there, or maybe it was when I spoke to the veterans on Thursday. I think that's where it was. Doc. Doc is 91 years old. He is a regular at the morning call. He's delightful. Uh, he lives in California, so he's on the West Coast. So if you are using the time as an excuse, you just can't, okay? <laughs> um, but he, he invited me to speak to some blinded veterans, which I was happy to do. And what he said to me just was, uh, it warmed my heart, truly, um, because, and I know it to be true. He said, if any of you join the community, they will make you feel very welcomed. And I believe we've got that down. Um, I think in the beginning, there, there was a feeling that people would come in and they felt like everybody knew each other. But now when somebody new comes in, especially for social calls, People notice new people and they say, oh, welcome so-and-so. And don't you notice that, Lucy? That oh, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So we want you to join us. Become a part of it. We also have an extension of the community on Facebook. So you can chit-chat there and connect with people there as well um, on our ACB community group. Uh, but more importantly, please, 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 do not let the ACB community be a big secret in your affiliate. This program of ACB is for every member of ACB and every person out there who is blind or low vision and needs connection. We don't check ID at the door. Membership is not required. It is just a place for people to come together and feel like they belong because they do yeah so i think that that will do it for us thank you so much for having us dan and we're going to turn it back to you <laughs> thank you so much cindy and lucy and thank you for doing the connection shows and thanks to oh, everybody right, that gets involved in our community event platform 
it truly has been one of those change agents for the American Council of the Blind. So thank you all so much for all that you do. And this brings us to the, us to the end of the first day of our president's meeting and the first of our four days of the DC virtual DC leadership conference. So hope everybody had a good time today. Uh, enjoy your evening and we'll see you back tomorrow afternoon at 1230 Eastern for our first connect show. Until then, as Clark and Swatha like to say, keep advocating and we'll see you tomorrow.